welcome to the assembly line on NES Homebrew Podcast. I'm Bo from Soul Goose Productions. And I am not Kevin Hanley. I'm Nathan Talbert from Bite the Chili Productions. Yes, we have uh, had to replace Kevin. He kind of sucks. So Nathan will be joining us this episode. And yeah, you may remember him from various other things. We had him on. How, long, how many times have you been on now? Oh, I think just once talking about the competition. Feels like your name is mentioned every episode incorrectly. That could just that's be the only me, reason though. I listen. Oh well, listen to how you pronounce my name. Those burning ears. So, as new co-host, um, I am going to let you decide what we're going to talk about. Uh, it's been a while since we've been on the air, and off we go. All right. Well, thanks. Well, one thing I've been thinking about a lot and was curious your opinions on, Bo. Um, with Homebrew, it seems like there's this big spectrum of games, like kind of the different scales from little tiny, you know, my first Pong type of projects, all the way up to big things like Lizard or Aulia. And I feel like, and I think a lot of us feel like, all everything in that spectrum has a lot of value, but there's different things that are interesting about each point. And I was kind of curious, your opinion and something we could talk about is what do we find interesting about all the different scales of projects? You know, different scales have different things that are appealing about them. Oh, I got to say, you're not off to a great start. I, I did not hear Spookatron in that great and epic <laughs> list. Uh, I can bring back Kevin if I have to. Don't make me. I was thinking maybe something like a family vacation. That sounds like a good. Oh, well, now, now you're pulling punches. All right. So we'll stick with your topic. Um, yeah, each, each, uh, I guess, what was the word you used? Scale? Spectrum? Yeah, whatever you'd want to call it. Each size of game. Size, yeah. Yeah, there's different, different sizes of games, I guess. You know, some, especially around the competition time, you end up with, with a lot of smaller ones, uh, technical things sometimes. And that's, I'll just launch right into small projects. That's the, one of the things that interests me quite a bit about the smaller ones is that they generally focus on some sort of technical thing that somebody wants to explore, whether that's a sort of a trick or a gameplay element, or if we look at your like Robo Ninja Climb, for instance, you know, your vertical scrolling, forced vertical scrolling type thing. Yeah, I mean, that's what I think is interesting agreeing with you, actually. I sort of interrupted you there, but the idea that you can experiment with something small is what I think is interesting with the smaller stuff. Yeah, so, that, I mean, there was Robo Ninja Climb. I know Pubby had one in last year's Nest Dev competition that was very fascinating, although it turned into a larger game. Which one are you talking about? <sighs> okay, yeah, with, with him, where are you going to start? Uh, F to FF, I guess that was a huge technical thing, but that, that kind of got out of control in terms of the time it took. Uh, but his no, his roguelike from last year, like that was a gameplay type one where he just wanted to focus on what if I did a roguelike with some some randomly generated stuff and what would that look like? And he kind of built a game out of it. I really enjoy seeing that idea of somebody take something small, which is, you know, I was thinking of Karate Kick because that was one of the ones that I thought from a competition a couple of years ago that was super simple, but it was just a lot of fun. And it's somebody can sit down and make a game and churn it out, you know, in a pretty quick amount of time. I don't know how long Karate Cook took, but you can sit down in a month or so, have an interesting idea that's playable as opposed to, you know, a lizard that takes four years. So I think to me that <laughs> the start to the end, that delivery is just, is exciting that somebody can sit down and just churn out something and see what it is. Have fun with it. You know, Rob, he's had his, uh, his one K series for a number of years where the challenge is to fit a game into, you know, one K of memory, but they, they, he does them very quickly too. Which uh, that that's the part that fascinates me. I don't really care for the bite counting so much. It'd 
because I don't really know how to count bytes very well. Uh, <laughs> but the time that it takes him to do them and like the level of polish with them is just that that interests me a lot. Well, he's always amazed me because he uh, he turns out a lot of these, you know, either mini games for things like Black Box Challenge or just a lot of these small but interesting games. Uh, I'm thinking of Babble Blocks. It's not a huge game, but it's just interesting and different. Even his large games, though, don't take that long because he's just so focused and he's just kind of a master of his craft. Yeah, I don't know how he does that. What's kind of that next level beyond small technical demo that may have been done on a weekend or an afternoon or several months if it was, you know, really intense, uh, but didn't yield a lot of gameplay? What's what's kind of what are some of the next category? Well, in my mind, it would be kind of things that are are more complete full games, but are still kind of, you know, arcade style or single screen at a time. Something like um, your Spookatron, maybe. I had a feeling that was coming. <laughs> it's a big full game, but it's not, you know, this epic adventure quest with tons and tons of maps and all this different content. Yeah, a lot of that hits like genre things. I was thinking of one that came to mind for me was Alter Ego. Yeah, exactly. That's a good one. It's solid polish throughout, a very full game, but you're only getting 30 so levels and you end up wanting more, but there just there isn't more at this right. time. And each one is just a single screen that you go through. It's not like 30 levels of side scrolling. And, you know, Mario 30 levels is a lot bigger than an alter ego 30 levels. Don't you bash single screen. We'll get to that later. Hey, I like alter ego. It's just a smaller <laughs> game. <laughs> uh, some other ones would have been. Well, let's um, see. The Nim and Nom that came out recently, I think, is a good example of that. Super oh, polished yeah. game, beautiful game. But, it's, you know, it's different than a giant Aulia or something. Again, with the arcade style, where it's more puzzle-based generally, a lot of the competition winners end up being in this category. And yeah, I mean, they're they're such solid games. They're very good, very enjoyable, uh, but they're not always... No, I mean, there were licensed stuff, like Solomon's Key and Fire and Ice, things like that, obviously. Yeah, thinking of Adventures of Lolo also, it's a similar... Yeah, I mean, they were... ton of levels, but yeah. They were full licensed games, but they weren't the Mario 3s. Like, you, it's, it's more of a niche uh, category sometimes. That, that's me being the non-puzzle guy. I'm sorry, all. <laughs> I think you're right, though. I think that it, I mean, like you said, there were definitely licensed games out on the nest that, and I call it the nest. I'm sorry for anybody that's offended by that. Um, on the nest that were kind of of that scale, but it's, yeah, smaller than those classics that you think of when you think of the amazing big epic nest games. All right, Tall Bear, what is <laughs> the next? We'll go with the biggest, grandest, or at least close to category. So yeah, then I think everything after that is these, you know, big games that you think this is something that's long, big, lots of content, you know, anything from platformers like Twin Dragons and um, uh, Nebs and Debs to, you know, Black Box Challenge or Lizard or Alia. I keep going back to those because those are kind of examples in my mind of, of the huge epic games. See, but you, you brought up Nebs and Debs, which interestingly, despite being a very full game memory wise is still enrom it's very small that's true he did a good job with that much like optimon soon to be released raleigh and micromages which is that to me is kind of in between uh i don't even want to say it because it's so good but (laughs) it's 
it's limited, so limited in the number of levels, but they're so well done and so interesting. We just won't talk about that yet. Um, I'm not, I'm <laughs> not ready fair. for that. I'm not ready for the backlash that comes from saying that Micromages is not beyond everything else. Well, and I think that's what's interesting about talking about this, because when you sit down to play a game, you might think, I, I want to play this big epic game right now, or I have five minutes and I want to play something small like Flappy Jack. But they're all enjoyable in different ways. Like I get excited when I see somebody show up with their first pong game and it's just something really simple because, Hey, you're, you're joining the community. This is awesome. And then when you have something that's like one of these smaller competition games, like karate kick, it's like, Hey, this is, this is a lot of fun. So to me, the fun part is there is this huge different scale, but the appeal of them is still there depending on what it is. I mean, if that makes any sense. Yeah, well, and even with that middle category, well, with all the categories, you can spend as much time as you're interested in. But the difference with some of the with the the larger categories that you're required to sit there for hours on end to get through it. That's true. And really, some of them you have to spend invest a good amount of time before you really even get into the meat of the game. I was just re-listening to your episode about Lizard. Oh, and boy. Kevin was talking about how hard it is to get going. He's, you know, it took him a while to really understand even what was happening. I think that's an example of you have to invest a certain amount of time before you even really get the meat of the game. Yeah, I've heard. Uh, so, you know, I did zero to X and everything. Well, the one fellow did zero to X and then I reprogrammed it and released it and all that, <laughs> which is just 2048. But I mean, you want to talk about a game that is easy to pick up and play and you can waste whole afternoons. I've probably played that more than I've played, dare I say, Lizard. And not just for testing purposes, but it'd be like I'm testing and then the afternoon's gone, and like, oh, um, which I think I've, I've shared before, but like it, it was simple to program. It's easy to do, but you can still spend my grandma's played Candy Crush more than any game. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Those mobile games are a good example to show us that sometimes simplicity is what you want. Yeah, yeah. And and with some of the, the larger ones, if the replay ability is not there, then you really never go back to them or you only go back to them every few years. Uh, right. Because you know what's coming every time. It's going to be the same. You're on an epic quest, whether that's stomping turtle shells and Goombas or, uh, you know, finding the eight crystals and then whatever else uh, comes with the RPGs. Now, here's a question that I have for you is that, you know, when people are, when people are buying a game, like a cart release, a lot of times there's this idea of, well, I want my money to you know, have a certain amount of gameplay. I want to see something that's you know, big and grand if I'm going to buy this cartridge. And in some sense, that seems to maybe inadvertently say that these smaller games are worth less to people. I'm curious to hear your comments about that and what you'd think in response to that. Oh, it's a problem. Uh, historically, if you look at like the sales on Retro USB and whatnot, you'd have Battle Kid priced at you know, 30 or 35 and the puzzle game's priced at 25 because, I mean, that there was a price scale that implied that they were inferior in some way or that they weren't as desirable or whatnot. And that's really like, in terms of your time and enjoyment, not generally the case, especially if we're talking Battle Kid. Um, right. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, it depends on the I've day. never actually played it more than five minutes at a convention, so I can't even speak to that one. See, and there's that, like you didn't pick it up again, whereas what is a homebrew that you've sunk a lot of time into? Probably Owly is the one I spent the most time on. and that Really? Yeah. Okay. Huh. Have you beaten it? I mean, part of that is I love Zelda-likes, so for me, the big epic game was exciting. 
you yeah you like zelda likes big surprise <laughs> yeah. uh yeah we didn't even talk about your history and all that uh but i guess hopefully people know who you are right now and that you did the great anguna the zelda like on the game boy advance in like 2004 and you've done various other things over the years that we will return to in a bit sounds good but yeah yeah it, it's hard to tell you you just never know what game is gonna catch your interest i mean i know people that love jaws for the nes and hate super mario brothers 3 like <laughs> it, it just depends i do like jaws jaws is a fun game i can sink days into legacy of the wizard and never beat it and I haven't picked up uh, Super Mario 3 in 15 years, maybe. It just doesn't hold my interest, even though it's probably technically and uh, marketing-wise the superior game. Like, it's just not for me. I have beat it, but I haven't beat Legacy of the Wizard. But uh, I probably have sunk more total time into Legacy of the Wizard than Mario 3, so maybe you're right. I, I know very few people that have beaten it. Um, but I know a lot of people who have tried. <laughs> That game, I'm going to call it obtuse. You know, that's that's a good good thing to call it. And speaking of obtuse, uh, we are going to talk about a new game that's been released uh, for the NES called Ness Cape with an exclamation yes. point. So you got to like kind of shout it. What was the last one we shouted on the here? Oh, I don't know. I forget. It was somebody. They were screaming it. Maybe it was an escape. Well, anyways, look for that game with the exclamation point. That's the one we were shouting. <laughs> so, yeah, let's talk about uh, NES Cape. Now that we've kicked Kevin off air, he's never coming back. Yeah, he's not allowed to talk about it. That's why it's been so many months. I had to legally extradite him from this process so we could talk about and kind of authentically review the title that he came out with. Back in, I want to say he started, oh, he started around the turn of the year. Uh, the Kickstarter was back in June, and I, we'd really hoped to cover it uh, back when it was being launched. But due to the move that I've mentioned in previous episodes, I have no internet now. Uh, <laughs> Bo moved to a house in the middle of nowhere that he cannot make a podcast from. This seems like poor planning. I actually have had to hook a house phone up to directly to the internet because I can't make like internet calls offline. I have to use this house phone that thankfully I did not throw out or sell in a garage sale. Like an old time landline phone like my parents oh, yeah. use. Yeah, but there's no cord. It's it's cordless. Um and the rotary you, do you have to like rotate no. the things as you <laughs> no i could bring the rotary back though there's one in the garage um visiting family right now which is why we can record maybe i'll take that rotary back that'd be interesting i think that's a good plan i never liked how it scraped my nails when i rolled it around i was like nails on a chalkboard it's just ugh. anyways um <laughs> nest cape how, how do you say it nathan See, I call it the NES. And, you know, when we had the Nintendo back in the day, you had the NES Max controller, the NES Advantage. So this is Nescape, and it rhymes with Escape. So oh, I escape. think that's the correct pronunciation. Like an escape room. I, I see where you're going with this. And I, I suspect that's the direction Kevin would want you to go with it, but I will probably never know. No, if only we could get him on here to discuss it. But, but he's somewhere at, half eaten by a panther, I think, in Florida, which I'm told... I'm I'm told these Florida jokes aren't funny anymore. Um, so, can you describe to me what 
is Nescape. So Nescape is an escape room in a Nintendo game. So for those that don't know what escape rooms is, it's kind of a new fad. New? I don't know if it's new. but um, Newer. They you, yeah, they lock you in a room, and there's all sorts of clues and items and keys and things scattered around the room. And you try to figure out what the clues mean, um, open locks, use the keys, um, just combinations and colors and all sorts of things in different escape rooms. And you usually have an hour or hour and a half time limit. And you try to escape. Um, so the game try to bo- tries to boil that down into a Nintendo game. So it takes the idea of a point and click, kind of like Shadowgate maybe or Deja Vu. Or Larry. Yes, there you go. Only instead of a, a big world that you're exploring, you're really stuck in one room. And you can turn and face different directions in this room. But you look around, there's objects, there's items, there's stuff on the wall, and you're trying to figure out, what do I do to escape? It's funny. Of all the games that we've reviewed over the last 20 episodes, Kevin's never... He always launches into some description and review instead of just describing. You actually described a game, and ironically, it was his! You know, every time I listen and Kevin goes off, I think, no, no, just, just tell what the game is. You jump, you run, you shoot. <laughs> You've been practicing at home. You sit in front of a mirror. I, I know how this works. You have no idea how often I yell at my uh, car speakers whenever you guys are talking. Oh, don't tell me. I I don't listen to podcasts, so I don't really want to know what people think all the time of these. But anyways, the, people tell me, I guess. Anyways, yes, uh, it's a virtual NES escape room. And... Yeah, he's really recreated, like, you're just stuck in this place with no fire codes where they've locked you into a room, and hopefully the building doesn't burn, and you solve a puzzle. Like, what is the appeal of real-life escape rooms to people today? I think the fun of it, for me, the ones I've done, the fun of it is the tactile experience. You get locked in, Mm -hmm. and usually they have an interesting theme, and you start just digging around, you know, you, you go through drawers, you find a key, you wonder what it's for. It's a lot of these ideas that you've played with in video games. If you've played Maniac Mansion or Shadowgate and, you know, you, you open the microwave and you find something and you know it's important. A hamster that's been fried? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so that fun of not knowing what's going on, but there's this whole puzzle that unravels as you're doing it. And the good ones kind of have a, a plot and a theme that unravels at the same time and you know, good props that are fun to play with. You know, the game has this telephone in it, and I think that's, you know, the iconic thing. You know, I think all the escape rooms I've been in end up having a telephone that features in there somehow, and you have to figure out what this telephone is for and what do you do with it, and it's just fun. Uh, I'll be honest. Like, I've never done an escape room, but when I look at the people that do them, mainly Kevin and uh, a few others, I see the signs, like I see the posters when I'm at the tourist towns and whatnot, when I actually, you know, make the hour trip into town. It seems like it's just a real life video game. And so it's interesting to me that Kevin has gone to the trouble to recreate in a video game the real life video game, if that makes some sort of meta sense to anyone. (laughs) I completely agree with you, because when I do it, I feel like, oh, I get to experience this video game, the point-and-click game, only in real life. So I agree. It's funny that he takes that and translates it back into a game. And so to me, playing the game feels more like I'm playing a point-and-click game than necessarily modeling 
the escape rooms that I've been in. But maybe that's just because of the themes of the one I've been in. I don't know. Yeah, well, you know, Kevin, he he ported Larry and then he's also he also has two point and clicks in working progress isolation, which he was doing with MT. And hopefully that returns. Yes, I saw your tweets, MT. So please, please get back to that. We are looking forward to playing it. Yeah, I've played parts of it and it's just phenomenal. But and then uh, uh, Barry, the legend of Barry which he was doing with uh, Zach, who's done the retrotainment, uh, who's done the art for the Haunted Halloween games, Full Quiet, stuff like that. Now, they were working on one as well that hopefully someday sees the light of day. Where was I going with all that? Oh, so this love of point and clicks is, is a long-standing Hanley tradition. And to, to see that influence in this game with how you interact with objects and stuff is not surprising in the least. Yeah. Um, one thing I liked, though, is I felt like it was a little bit different from a standard point and click. A standard point and click, there's so many different rooms and you spend so much time trying to figure out how do I, you know, where do I possibly take this item? And then I have to use the wrench on the dog. And I don't even understand why I have to use the wrench on the dog. Where this, I feel like, takes a lot of that point-and-click fun, condenses it down into something a lot more accessible. Yeah, there's no pirates, there's no sex, there's no various other things that featured in LucasArts's uh, repertoire. But, <laughs> right. And Sierra, Sierra, that's the other one I was thinking of. And there isn't the, you know, with all those old games, the old PC stuff especially, you had the weird copy protection, like turn to page 76 and tell me the fourth letter on, you know, the third <laughs> paragraph, or take this wheel and turn the wheel and match these things up. And it's like he almost, you know, forgot to do that, except the title screen of a Nest Cape here, which is a, it's an NES-shaped cape, uh, Nest Cape. You have to solve the title screen as a puzzle. I mean, like, the whole thing is just puzzles throughout, uh, which, that's a Hanleyism. To me, that was one of the most exciting things about it. You turn on this game, and the first thing that hits you is this puzzle. And there's no, you know, welcome to the game, press start. You're just like, what am I looking at? And so to me, it was exciting and mysterious from the get-go. So, speaking of beginnings, how did uh, Nescape come to be? Like, what's the genesis here? You mean, like, how did, uh, what was Kevin's process for creating it? Sure, sure. We're not going to have him on to talk about it, so we might as well cover it ourselves. <laughs> yeah, I think we're going to need Kevin for that one, because I, I don't know the whole process. I know that... Um... Uh, we'll get Kindle, or John, or Eric, or <laughs> anybody but Kevin. <laughs> that, that works. Let's get Kindle on here a sweet gal I, th I think you've met her but i don't think i've met her do you know the story behind nescape no i don't other than oh. i know kevin was suddenly had this idea to make it and then a million people piled on and it happened oh no he's sitting there with kindle one day and uh they're they're filming themselves because this is how the kickstarter video was uh they were just sitting there they were like oh we'll just hit play on this uh record thing and all of a sudden, they're like, oh, I have this idea for we should make a, a game about an escape room. And oh, yeah, that's great. And then all of a sudden, an hour and a half later, and you can watch the whole thing. It's all documented. Um, they've created Nescape just like that. <laughs> that's amazing. 
Um, but yeah, they made this game supposedly all on air and that's kind of how it came to be. I guess we'll probably have to get some specifics at some point. Uh, cause I, I'd like to hear the story from her mouth and, uh, see what Kendall has to say about that. But, uh, give me some, some gameplay highlights, I guess. Uh, you, you've described the general gameplay, but what actually like stuck out to you in the process while playing? Well, what stuck out to me, what I really loved about it was there's all these pieces of you know, props, you'd call them. You know, I mentioned a telephone, there's a typewriter, there's all these different props. And each of them has these beautiful zoomed in graphics. You know, you click on the telephone and you're just up looking at it and you can push the buttons. You can rattle the little change return. You can click on the uh, whatever it is that you hang the phone up on. Um, the typewriter, you can hit all the keys and make it type. Um, to me, that was the fun of it, that everything is really interactive. And there are some just really fun puzzles that engage with that interactivity that I, I just thought was really interesting. You know, there's a lot of games. I mentioned Shadowgate as kind of the other point and click that I'm comparing this to. And, you know, Shadowgate had this cool, interesting world, but everything was kind of zoomed back and hard to see what it was. No spoilers, please. Say that again? No spoilers. I haven't played it. <laughs> what, Shadowgate or <laughs> Netscape? Shadowgate! You I've played, played Shadowgate? Netscape. No, I, I, I've, I've been waiting to do the Mac Ventures. I feel like it's going to be a slippery slope where I want to make one as soon as I finish. So you can talk about it, but don't, don't give anything away here. Okay, just go play Shadowgate. And speaking of obtuse, it is difficult. Oh, we haven't even got to obtuse yet. <laughs> um, I just thought the puzzles were, were great. Um, from the get-go, it was, you know, one of the things about escape rooms is that if you look around, you see patterns, you look for the clues, and then you figure out how to put them together to to interact with something to use those clues. And this was, it hit it perfectly. I thought the level of difficulty was great. I loved it. I've always, you know, I, I say that Rob is the master of mini games. He can make whatever. But when Kevin started showing me when he started showing me some animated GIFs and various other things, images and whatnot, I, I had a, I had a small hand in a few puzzles that I'm sure he's forgotten, uh, sadly, based on some things he said. But um, the sheer amount of mini games is just mind-boggling. It's it's Rob level. I it's just when I look <laughs> when I look at doing a game and you know I've been working on my RPG stuff for several years now but really programming the engine for the last year now it's like it's one thing that you're perfecting whereas when you do these mini games and I've talked to people uh contract work and other other people that were interested in having me program stuff and like well what if we just had like 10 little things I'm like that's 10 Full games. No, I'm not doing that. Yeah, you have to develop each one as a separate thing. Yeah, and and that's basically what Kevin did, uh, for better or worse. I mean, you have the art, you have the perspective, but the coding for each of them is just a nightmare. I, it is his, and I, I, I wish he'd made the actual game, but we'll call this Kevin's space shuttle project. <laughs> It's just, it's a game of mini games with an overarching narrative that ties everything together, but in a much better way than the Space Shuttle Project. Uh. Well, and I think, too, the beauty of it is that, I mean, there's a few of the mini games, and I don't want to get into spoilers, that 
you know, you start working on it and it's just a self-contained game, but there are so many of them that, you know, like the, the phone that I mentioned that you have to get clues from somewhere else. It's not just interacting with the phone by itself. It's you're pulling together information that you saw here and an item that you saw here and having to use them with the telephone. It just makes it a lot more interesting. Words I like to use are integrated world, which is yes. not something you normally see in this type of game. The, I've compared Nescape in the past to the Nancy Drew point and clicks. The Yes, that's a great comparison. The bargain bin target stuff that you're like, who would play that? I spy. Um, this is not that. <laughs> Due to that level of integration, which, uh, which is, it's just top of the game. Yeah, I, I thought it was great. One thing that I did like, though, and because you can sit there forever with these puzzles, but he put a time limit in like a real escape room, which, again, I haven't been to. And I've only read reports and essays and books and dissertations on these escape room things. <laughs> You're such an academic. Yeah, I wish uh, once upon a time. Not these days. These days I just play video games. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> it's research, Bo. It's research. Research. That's what I'm. That's what I tell my wife. Uh, but yeah, he's got uh, a real-time clock in the corner. Which, when I played one of the earlier builds, it did not have. And then when I went to finally go play the final build, it was like that puts a lot of pressure on me to do this right. <laughs> I took an hour and a half, hour and forty-five minutes with the very first puzzle. That would not. <laughs> well, oh yeah, I guess we didn't actually talk about our gameplay experiences yet. Um, I could not figure out. I. I I solved the title screen. I solved the first puzzle, which is turning on a light switch. I'm, I'm going to spoil a couple things because that one will drive you crazy. And well, I'm going to get into I'm jumping ahead with the uh, one complaint, but we were at MGC and demoing this game. Kevin wasn't there, so we were helping him demo and every single person that wanted to play, I had to tell them with the light switch part, okay, here's what you do. Here's what you got to do right here. Turn on that light switch. So <laughs> that's my one complaint if I have about the game was that was so confusing. You start in a dark room and, and with a homebrew, you're, you're, I mean, I hate to say this, but you're never quite certain. Like, did he program this right? <laughs> yeah. The, the room's all black. There's nothing going on. I think I might've crashed it. Kevin, there's a bug here. <laughs> right and anyway the, carry, carry on with your story i'd love to hear no, about no, I, I have i have a worse one we'll, we'll get to the very famous complaint about that first room in just a little bit but after you turn on the light um because there was somebody i i want to say he's famous uh who could not figure out <laughs> the light switch we'll get to I that i know where you're going yeah i think we do but um after that, there's a puzzle involving some things, which if you can figure this out in less than an hour and 45 minutes, you are smarter than me. So play an escape, feel good about yourself, and ne please never tell me how quickly you figured it out. <laughs> but you can pat yourself on the back for that. Um, I... I was beating my head against a wall. I finally had to ask him and he told me, he was like, oh, you just do this, this and this. And I was like, you piece of garbage. I, I don't like this game, <laughs> which is always a fun thing to say to your friend. <laughs> yeah, that is true. But eventually I got beyond it and the game was much better. 
So you mentioned the art before and how just floored you were. Can you kind of describe it in more detail? Sure. Um, I mean, the part that I thought was most interesting, I'll describe kind of both parts. But, you know, at first you're just in a room. So you're sitting back looking at a wall and you can see small versions of the different items that are there. You know, the table and the drawers or the mirror or the whatever's in the room. And I thought that was perfectly fine. Um, The graphics were perfectly acceptable. I wasn't blown away, but I didn't have any problems with them. When you click on one of those things, that's where it really got interesting because it goes full screen and you're looking at this just incredibly detailed object. And as you click on it, it, it moves and interacts like you'd expect it to, which on full size graphics is really pretty well done. You know, I had to look a couple times. I had the game open in an emulator and there was one with a piano and I'm like, how did, how did Kevin do this animation? So I had to pull up the debugger to try to even figure out exactly how did this work? So I just, it was well done. Everything just seemed really smooth as far as, when you interact with things, they moved the way you would expect them to. Yeah, they're very fluid. Uh, everything was done extremely well from pressing the... See, I, I don't put as much emphasis on the phone, but the phone is very impressive. Uh, the typewriter, though, that's the one. I mean, when he was doing the Kickstarter campaign, the animated GIFs just flew uh, for all the different things that the game does so well. The one thing I was kind of curious about was the caboodle. Um, I'm not quite familiar with what a caboodle is, but I think did it's you have like a little a... sister in the 80s? No, no, I had a little sister in like the aughts uh, no, because so she's know. way younger. <laughs> Every little girl in the 1980s had a caboodle for keeping their girly hairpins or rubber bands or I don't know what in. I had to find that on his website, and I was like, oh, that's called a caboodle. Good to know, not a tackle box. Um, awesome, <laughs> yeah, I think if it, you know. If you keep your lures in it, then it's a tackle box. If you keep your hair pins, it's a caboodle. What if I keep my ROM chips and various other things? I think it's a caboodle. Mm. Yeah, so John, <laughs> I have a caboodle. Good to know. Um, John just nailed it with the art. And we'll get a little bit more into the history of John without an H uh, in a bit. But he was somebody who had never done art before. We've talked about it before on the podcast. Kevin put out sort of a call to arms that i don't know if that's appropriate these days uh something a plea (laughs) and he got this response from this guy named john who just came out of nowhere (laughs) and john was like i've never done art but i really like to and this bow guy tells me it's as easy as using paint and (laughs) did he use paint for this yes and kevin did not discourage him he was it's funny because everybody discourages me from using paint. You, Mike, Kevin, everyone. Oh, you got to use Photoshop. Yeah, I, I'm going to say eight. you shouldn't use paint. Got to have the eight layers. Sorry, the, John, if you're listening, paint is terrible. 64 times. How much art have you done, Nathan? Mm. Okay, well, in that mm, case. Yeah, you want the trash talk to fly. I'll let it fly. <laughs> this is a good point. So John just, he was like, I can do this. And he did it. And he just started drawing this amazing stuff. And I was, I don't want to say blown away. So I'm going to use the word. I was flabbergasted by what he was able to do. And I'm not a big fan of dithering and like the minute details and stuff, but he did it so well because the images, the rooms and the zoomed in images are so big. 
the dithering just looks amazing. And it, it looks good on an NES, but if you can play it on either an ABS or an emulator or some sort of pixel-perfect system, it is awesome-looking. It goes from, like, larger shadows to really fine shadows and everything in between. It's just phenomenal. Uh, I, I am so impressed with John. I tried to recruit him to do a, a Christmas card for uh, Brian, but I didn't have my stuff together and all that. But maybe maybe next year. We'll, we'll see. We'll see. I did. I have to agree about the shadows. the The mood setting of this is kind of a, a creepy place, and it's shadowy. I mean, it captured that really well. Oh, you know, the NES can't do traditional layers. Well, you know this. Uh, so everyone else, you know this. The NES can't do traditional layers. Um, and to approach doing art for a system without knowing that in advance, but adapting to it, like. Every room has this central light that casts this shadow. I guess it's the same light. See, you look at it as you're in one room facing four directions. Yeah, yeah, it's a square room, and you're looking around the room. No, no, you're in four rooms looking at four walls. That's they're, they're, Each room is like Flatland. It's one wall, <laughs> and you just... My mind can't do the fact And you warp from one side to the other side when you're done. You don't warp, you walk. It's Flatland. Uh, oh, okay. You, just, you cross the square root of two and keep going. But John, yeah, he this light hangs from the middle of the room and it casts these shadows and he just did. I know Kevin had to walk him through a lot of like, here's the NES constraints, but he just did so well. John, I hope you're not listening because you, you should be blushing by now, maybe fanning yourself with something. Um, it's just amazing work. Let's make a Christmas game. Well, and I love the fact that you never, when I'm playing it, I never thought about you know, tile reuse. And I mean, there's all these different props in each room and you just don't have that much tile space to, you know, fill a full screen with things. But I never thought, Oh, look at that. He's reusing this here. Like I didn't even cross my mind. It just looks like the room you're looking at. Tell me about the music a little bit. Ah, oh, the music thing that I thought about is it really captured this kind of creepy or mysterious suspenseful mood. Um, mm. You start the game and you're immediately it kind of has this, you know, high pitch reedy sound. Yes. And it's it draws you in as, okay, I don't know what's going on. There's some suspense. What's happening here? So I thought it captured that really well. What did you think? The suspense for me didn't hit until and I told you I spent, you know, an hour and a half with level one, uh, hour and forty-five. And I didn't catch any suspense. I just I just caught frustration in this music just kept droning on in the background that did not fit my mood in any way. But I don't <laughs> think people make games for frustrated. Uh, well, that is the one problem I had with it was I, I felt like it captured the mood really well. But once I got any time I had to really focus on a puzzle, I was like, I got to turn this music down. I got to concentrate. And uh, then uh, slight spoiler alert, but there are audio puzzles. And so at certain points, I'm like, wait a minute, I have to turn this back up. So I spent a lot of time turning the music up and down, back and forth, because I wanted to crank it up for the audio puzzles. But then, you know, when I'm concentrating, let me crank it back down. Oh, with the incident, there was like frustrated music. There was like, this game is getting harder and I'm getting pissed. But I don't think most people are going to get caught on the, on the first level the way I did. And by the third level, that's where I really like felt the suspenseful music. 
Uh, along with John being new at art and having never done this before, uh, he also put out a call for music, and I, he got several submissions. He got um, the old staple classics like Psy and probably Human Thomas, I'm guessing. I think they submitted Those guys stuff. are everywhere. Yeah, maybe not. But, you know, this is Kevin. He wanted, despite the fact that he's done 10 games, he wanted all new people. Uh, his co-designer, Kindle, never done a game before john he'd never done a game before so he chose a guy uh named travis uh he goes by uh, trojan horse he'd uh he'd never really done anything before but he submitted some stuff that uh knocked the tube socks off of mr hanley and i i think the music really fits other than the first song and again that's only because i took so long uh but the level by the time i hit level three i was like yeah I'm I'm digging this. Like, this is my mood right now. Mysterious. Something's going on. Because there's no text to like tell you like this is the story. Like, hey, pirates have taken your keys, and you got to find your keys. And I don't really know how real escape rooms work, but definitely pirates and keys. That's most of them. Isn't isn't that? I I, I see <laughs> posters at the, at the tourist towns. Yeah. I don't know. All the ones I did, we were saving the world. So there were no pirates, mm. and, you know, stolen keys. But well, anyways, good old Trojan horse knocked out some tunes. And uh, he's a neat guy. I met him at MAGFest last year. Actually, it was weird. The whole team was at MAGFest. There was Kevin. There was John. Uh, just great guy. I, I've said that several times. We had dinner. Uh, it was fun to talk to him. I didn't really get to talk to Travis too much, but I did talk to him some. Very, very nice. And that's really impressive, though, to actually get everybody from the team together at a show. Usually you get yeah. somebody there, other people not there. It, it in our electronic age, e age, uh, you're, you don't normally like actually get to meet people. And so to, to meet the entire team at once and to talk to them and the game was on display, like people could come up and play it and see, give feedback right then and there. I was just, it was very Did they all comment on the dark room? You know, I don't feel like the dark room was in that. I, I, you know, I like to go in fresh. So I don't like to watch other people play homebrew games that I haven't myself played. And so I, I kept looking away or pretty much hiding behind the couch so I wouldn't have to see uh, what was going <laughs> on with these screens. But uh, yeah, the music was very fitting for the game. One thing that Mr. Hanley did, and this is so unlike him because he just, you know, he just recycles the same trash every time. But <laughs> there are a bunch of interesting technical features incorporated into Nescape. Probably the largest being that it's been done before, but it hasn't been done. So when we talked about the uh, levels of games earlier, like the tech projects, the compo entries versus the medium versus the large. There's never been kind of a medium to large, dare I say large, uh, project that has used the uh, Super Nintendo mouse uh, as the main form of input, optionally, of course, because not everybody has one, and the adapter and all the, you know, six kinds of hardware required to interface it. Now, I guess, I guess isolation was using it, but that's not quite out yet, so... Nescape is really the first large project that uses the Super Nintendo mouse as 
a, a main form of input, which have you tried it with the mouse? I haven't. I don't have one. And I keep going to the local retro game store asking if they have one in. And they always say, oh, not right now. But I haven't gotten around to actually ordering one online. So I haven't tried it. But I'm looking forward to it. I like the idea that it's not just a gimmick. Um, a lot of times, you know, oh, you can use the mouse, but it's just some gimmick. But here it really ties into the game. I, I see you're again attacking Spookatron. You can use a Virtual Boy <laughs> controller, but you don't. Ha- I, I heard it. I heard it in your voice, your tone, sir. Anyways, <laughs> if you Wait, don't have if you don't have a Super Nintendo mouse or you can't find one or you, you don't want to deal with the steel ball that's all gunked up, you can also get the uh, Hyperkin makes optical mice for the Super Nintendo now, and they are. I guess pretty decent. They're they're a little different, but Kevin, in his infinite wisdom or sixty five hundred two wisdom, that's like two fifty six, not not infinity. Um, he built it so it will detect which mouse you're using, and the game will shift and adapt to that. And I think I got to give props to uh, Brad Smith. Wasn't he the one that figured out how to detect which mouse is which? Yeah, don't give credit to Kevin if you can help it. Uh, it was definitely Brad Smith. He figured it all out. He's also the one that kind of cracked the code on using a oh. zapper on an LCD, which we will someday get to. Oh, I guess maybe Kevin taught Brad. I could be corrected. Oh, I, you know, it sounds like you're reading lies off of some back <laughs> chat that I can't see. Anyways, uh, <laughs> technically, the game uses the Super Nintendo mouse, which is awesome. Uh, finally, an excuse to you know, put your Commodore 64 monitor on a desk, get out a mouse pad, and go back to that style of gaming. Yeah, I mean, it makes the point and click really work as a point and click. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, for those of us that didn't have that. um, What else technically stands out to you about the game? Um, Let's see. Some of the things were, um, like I mentioned, a lot of these full screen graphics, because it was a GT ROM cart, he used the, the four different name tables that GT ROM provides, or maybe it's even all eight of the you know the extra ones you can bank switch to to do with these big full screen animations but yeah i mean i thought that was interesting that we have these big full screen animations where everything on the screen is changing um another thing like i mentioned before was uh, audio cues and he uses you know sampled voice audio i don't know if that's too much of a spoiler so he can yell at us later if oh we say no that, he's but... fine you all just right. tell him to shut up and you put that in a sample channel thing so he can hear it that way but actually using these voice samples as clues that you have to decode. Um, that's something that I haven't seen before in an NES game. So that was pretty interesting. That's yeah, so different than like hockey players, you know, yelling at each other. Yeah. Yeah. It was actually functional. I was like, you, what do you mean? You man, we'll see. Although that was another tricky one when we were showing it uh, at Midwest Gaming Classic. There was one guy that just blazed through the rest of the game in five minutes. You know, it's loud in that room and you can't hear anything. And he gets there and he's like, I I have no idea what's happening now. I'm done. Because <laughs> for all the noise in the room, you couldn't hear it at all. I was texting Kevin rapidly like, what's that first voice clue? Trying to help him through it. It's sometimes difficult to, you know, we run into this problem with RPGs. We run into this with any any sort of slower paced game where somebody can't just walk up and start pressing buttons. Nescape kind of gets into that category where you have to use all your senses. You have to use all your skills and you can't do that in a large room filled with a bunch of people when you have time pressures and all that. Exactly. You can't experience the game correctly. Five minutes sitting down at a show. Yeah. 
So, yeah, Kevin really made good use of the technical features of GT-ROM, which was impressive because he's used this board before and he used it in all new ways. And he actually, along the way, I don't really want to give him credit for this, but he taught me a thing or two about how I could do things and I kind of stole some ideas from him and uh, all that. But he doesn't need to know that, so just nobody ever really really tell him that <laughs> so it, when you look back because you played an escape a while ago we played it at mgc which was back in april it's now august close to september august almost yeah. september uh, yeah i don't like that at all and you've played through the full game since and everything what are some things that stand out to you scenes or puzzles things like that I'm trying to think of the best way to describe it because I'd like to to tell the puzzles that stood out to me, but not in a way that's going to spoil it for anybody. Well, you can um, tell about a puzzle and not tell us the solution. Exactly. So for me, like I said before, the the title screen was just awesome because you flip it on and you're just like, what is this? I have to solve this puzzle to even start. Um, so you do that and then fairly quickly into the game after you turn on the light, there's a fairly difficult puzzle. It's probably the one that you were stuck on for a long time, Bo. <laughs> and after spending, you know, looking at it, staring through the room, looking for clues. And when, as soon as it hit me, like, Oh, I just realized like, okay, Kevin knows what he's doing as far as giving these clues that are subtle. And this is going to be an interesting game. So to me, that first puzzle really set the tone for it. Funny that you picked that one because I went, mm, <laughs> Kevin made this puzzle. I'm not going to like this. <laughs> But that, I mean, I think that set the tone for the rest of the game. Yeah, for better or worse. There was one uh, musical one with the piano that I thought was really fun. But I remember saying to Kevin, like, this could be tricky for people that if you don't know anything about music, this might be kind of hard. But I thought that it was it was fun and clever. So I really enjoyed that one. You know, they have to play a certain song on the piano and there's there's clues as to what you have to play. Um, yeah, you, <laughs> you didn't love that one, Hubbo. Uh, no, as somebody who has no formal musical training, no, I, that was throw the controller at the screen time part <laughs> four or five. I forget. No, it was only part four, only part four. And then the one that just drove me crazy was you're near the end of the game. Blue chapter four. Yeah, I don't know what chapter it was, but you're real close to the end. And there's a Simon puzzle, you know, like the old 80s game where you have to, you know, you push blue and beep, beep, and you push blue, green, and then beep, 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 and you have to follow it. I like Simon. You're what? I like Simon, too. But you're watching the clock count down and you have seven minutes left. And you're like, I can win this. I have seven minutes left. And this puzzle goes on for like 100 years. And you're like, I'm going to I'm going to kill Kevin. Why is this puzzle still going? I want to win and I'm going to lose. So. I don't know if it's a good or bad, but that really sticks out in my mind. Yeah, those those were all memorable. <sighs> I hate that the most memorable things to me are the things that I tend to dislike. <laughs> well, that's because that's the time thing you spent the most time on, so you remember it. It sticks in your brain. Yeah, it's not that first puzzle. But beyond the first puzzle, there is... You find in a drawer this sliding tile puzzle. I don't know if you ever played those growing up. Oh, yeah. I had one of those. And, you know, I lived out in the country. We didn't have, you know, a lot of friends around. I spent way too much time on a sliding puzzle as a kid. Yeah, we moved to my uh, to live with my grandparents when I was like nine. 
And I'm actually in that house right now while we're podcasting because I, I ended up growing up here uh, for most of my life. And there was a game cupboard and there was Kerplunk, which was super fun. Uh, the old wooden sticks and the marbles and this old plastic. Oh, yeah. Thing. And they I all still crashed to the bottom. Yeah, they crashed to the bottom. We'd play that like when we visited before we moved in. But there was also this sliding tile puzzle. You know, they're like two inches by two inches, maybe three by three. And they're just fresh. You can never solve them. It's like a Rubik's Cube, but for dummies. And I couldn't even <laughs> exactly. solve that. So it wasn't like a good thing. And then you turn on escape. And <laughs> one of the first puzzles is that. And it hits you. Well, the worst part is you get stuck on that first puzzle. You spend an hour and 45 minutes and I have to ask Kevin how to finish it. And then all of a sudden you're like, okay, I'm cruising along. And then you open this drawer and there's one of these. And you're just like, oh my goodness. What is and there's another half hour uh, on a good day. See, we were, I was helping Kevin test the game when he was nearly finished with it. and But there was a bug that we found right after that sliding puzzle, sliding tile puzzle. So for a couple of days, he would send me a new build every few hours. And he's like, well, try this one. And to get there, I'm like, okay, I have to go through each thing. And so I ended up having to slice, solve that puzzle. I don't know what it was, like 10 times in one evening because they just, hey, try this build. So I got to the point where I'm like, okay, this is like Zen. I can do it. I can do this thing. I know there's a trick to him, but I have not figured it out. I almost figured it out today when I went to go replay it, you know, all the way through and or as much as I could to be able to give my final thoughts on this travesty known as travesty, <laughs> Travis, <laughs> uh, known. I know that's an obtuse joke, but um this thing known as Nescape. And I was like, there's got to be a trick to this if I just click them in the right order. And I, I sort of developed a pattern. I don't know if it actually worked or if I just hit random buttons until I solved it. But I'm closer. I know that much. Well, I was going to ask you, kind of switching gears a little bit, I was going to ask you your opinion about replayability. But it sounds like you haven't made it through the whole thing yet. So maybe that's not a useful question at this point. Oh, it is, because with games, you can't finish in one sitting, as intended by, I guess, every game dev ever. You know, you'll just finish TMNT 1 first time through with, yeah, with, right. or, with or without support. The replayability is hard with puzzle games. Puzzle games are always hard because the replayability is found in the fact that you forget exactly. what has happened. And with this type of game, can you forget what you've done? Is it just about memory and logic? You can definitely forget, because I just a couple nights ago was playing through the game again to, to refresh my memory before this. And I think I sent Kevin about six messages like, I don't understand. I used to know how to do this puzzle. How do you do it? I don't want to figure it out again. So I guess you can forget. Well, they're not just logic, though. There's some skill-based ones, too. There's, like, kind of a labyrinth marble maze that requires, yeah. unless you do it like me, where you just, like, do one pixel at a time. and just That's bury. pretty much what I did. Oh, okay, I'm not the only one. Awesome. So, yeah, Sorry, there's some were... more, more skill-based puzzles, like the labyrinth and the <sighs> cursed tile-based moving thing. It's not just about, like... That was the problem with things like Larry or... Uh, Maniac Mansion. What's the other one? Oh, Monkey Island. That's what I'm thinking of. Once you memorize the answers, you, you know how to beat the game very quickly. And it's not like an RPG where you have to grind levels and progress through things. You can just quickly solve puzzles and beat the whole game in 10 minutes. Nescape is not one of those um, because of this stuff sort of in between. You have to be good at a variety of skills. Yeah, that's true. 
Although I kind of wish, you know, looking back on it, and I understand the, the constraints of actually getting a game done, so I don't want to complain about that at all, but ending it, I wish there was more. And I guess that's a good compliment when you wish there was more of it. But I'm like, oh, I wish there was another room or another adventure so I could go back to it and have a slightly different version or some more scenes so I could see more cool stuff later. So when I think about replayability, I, I wish there was more. That's the same complaint I have for Lizard or Micromages. I wish there was more. So tell me some of the... Do you want to start with negatives or do you want to do positives first? What's going to hurt his feelings oh. more? I feel like we've really been talking through, so I guess we can sum up the uh, the positives and the negatives. Okay, sure. I mean, I think I don't think any of it is different than what we were just saying. For me, the positives were I love the puzzles. I thought the the clues, the puzzles, the full screen experience was just beautiful. But there's always a but with three dots after it, and then you wait. For me, the negatives were the biggest negative was the flipping the volume back and forth. You know, the music was good on its own. I sat and listened to it today just to say, hey, how is that music? But when I was into it, I just kept wanting to turn it down, and then I'd get to the audio puzzle. And some of those audio puzzles were hard to understand. I listened to it over and over. There was one of them. I played it and played it and played it. You? And took it up to my wife you. and said, hey, you. hey, listen, what's this you. say? What's this say? You. She's like, that doesn't say anything. You. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I, I think that was one of the bigger negatives of it was... Um, those were just harder than they needed to be, I think. And that dang darkness. Sorry, Kevin. I, I know that was part of your vision for the thing, but that was just confusing. But overall, really, I would say mostly positive things. Like, it captured what it needed to be. It was a, a small, confined escape room, and it did that really well. But what about you, Bo? What were your pros and cons? Well, pro, it, it, was, it was very well done, very polished. Uh, it was... Very thought out. Lots of mini games on the technical side. I can say I would never do a game like Nescape. Um, no, that would cost way too much because I'd have to make 10 games, not one. I don't yeah. care for that. In any way, actually, I have the uh, mini games done for family vacation. I paid somebody else to do them, so I don't have to. <laughs> that is a good plan. Yeah, I tried to do a minigame for Family Vacation. It turned into Spookatron, and that's two years of my life. Um, so, Nescape is it's very impressive for all of that. And it's, you know, we talked about replayability and how you memorize the puzzles and stuff. They're not puzzles that... The images stick in my head, but the way to solve them does not. And so that makes them still interesting, uh, which nice. which I can appreciate. You know, that hour time limit's still counting down and there's still pressure. Yeah, and even if you've played through it once before, you still have that time pressure. Yeah. Now, I will say that some of the puzzles, like, you look at the puzzle, you know what to do, and for some reason, you can't figure out how Kevin has decided you should do it. You can look at it. <laughs> now, I'm talking specifically about a level or a chapter three puzzle involving some candles and such that might be where I stopped because my time ran out and I got a game over and th one of the fingers on one of my hands raised, maybe one <laughs> finger on each hand raised. I'm not quite certain. Uh, and I knew who to curse by name. You know, so that was sort of nice. That there was no mystery there. And 
I know what to do, but somehow I can't do it. Like, that's... That's vexing, I will I'm say. I'm confused about you knew what to do, but couldn't do it. If you're talking about a puzzle relating to the candles, I don't know. You don't know to spoil it, but... I did it on the wall. I looked at it. I know what's there, and I know it didn't work. So he has a vision for how some things should be solved that my mind, I'm not going to say me personally, but my mind does not agree with. And I know that based on some previous puzzles that I kind of had to look up a little bit to solve. And I was like, oh, that's what he meant. Mm -hmm. Nice. So I want to say a couple of the puzzles aren't terribly intuitive. They're, dare I say, obtuse. Yeah, I thought they were all, some of them weren't as intuitive, but there were clues for each of them. I didn't feel like any of them were impossible. Well, there's no text, though. I'm, I'm a That's text true. person. I, I need to see, like, hey, you know, uh, Peninsula Left or whatever. Grumble, grumble. But the biggest thing with this game, and it's hard, it's, I don't like reviewing games for a reason. And that's because I have to have my review done by a certain point. I didn't have six months to pop in Nescape. Well, okay, I had six months. I didn't have a few years to pop in Nescape and just try to get as far as I could. Like, when you're trying to review a game, you want to, you know, get the full experience. And you're like, well, you know, I got to do this by a certain date and we got to, you know, talk about it and all this. And I have to, you know, have profound thoughts. No, like, sometimes you just play a game and you get stuck and you feel <laughs> stupid. <laughs> And yeah, you can't get through it. And I like I like to lean into that. I like to appreciate those moments in life. And so when I play a game that just kind of frustrates me and I can't finish it, it's like I kind of just want to not finish it and come back to it later. And I can't always do that when I'm reviewing a game. But and I always try to finish whatever game we're talking about on the podcast, of course. But with Nescape, I decided, you know, because Kevin's a good friend and I just want to enjoy what he created, I decided I wasn't going to finish it. And so it was frustrating to me that I couldn't rush the experience. And yet it's not really a game to be rushed. Well, and that's one of the things about a game like this, that the way to rush it, if you want to rush it, is just to look up the answers. And once you do that, that that defeats the whole game. The game is the puzzle. Well, and Kevin, he made a website that'll tell you exactly what to do for every puzzle. So you never have to wonder if you can't figure it out. You you've paid him. He has your money. You just want to beat the game to say you beat it. You can look up everything online uh, except one puzzle that involves some music that he forces you to go look up charts and garbage <laughs> like that. And I cheated on that one. I'll admit that. Maybe if you don't know the keys on a piano. <laughs> I don't. How funny that that's the case. Uh, well, I was thinking about that because one of the strange things about homebrew games as compared to modern games, you know, or not modern games, but bigger production games, old Nintendo games or AAA games, whatever, is almost everything nowadays has walkthroughs online. And we're really spoiled by that. But it does take the fun out of something like this if your first thing you do is just go look up how to solve every puzzle. Where I think that's one of the interesting things with homebrew games is there might not be a walkthrough out there. You just have to figure it out. Now, I guess Kevin did put a walkthrough of some sorts out here. But That's the ironic thing is most of us, like, we take some pride in, like, 
there are no walkthroughs. You just have to figure it out just like back in the day. But Kevin was like, no, I don't. I like to have a walkthrough. I like to, you know, have my hand held gently through the meadow. So he <laughs> gave that to other people for that their experience. And I mean, if that keeps people from being frustrated, I think that's totally worth it. My problem is I'm way too tempted to look every time I get stuck for more than 10 seconds. I'm tempted to go look it up. And I'm like, no, that'll ruin the fun. I need to not do it. It keeps people from hating him as a human being. So yeah, I, this is I, true. I think that's why he did it. Maybe we'll find out later. Who knows? Uh, my favorite thing about yeah. uh, covering people here is at some point, whether we have them on or whether they no, whether we have them on or not, at some point they approach me and are like, here's what I thought of you, sir. And I'm like, oh, boy, <laughs> here we go. <laughs> nice. Yeesh. Um, so, uh, the game has been released. Uh, we are very late with this podcast here. Uh, it's gone very long. It's terribly sorry. If somebody just had internet. This wouldn't be a problem. Yeah, well, mm, yeah, that. Uh, so how was the game released back in the day? That day being June. That day being June when the Kickstarter ended and Kevin's releasing it? Months ago, yes. So, he finished the Kickstarter up. Um, and there were various tiers. Um, you had the ROM only release. Um, there was a tier that included with the mouse. Uh, I don't even remember all the different tiers. You might remember that better than I do. You went from the cheapest to the most expensive, like zero to 60. Zero to FF. Oh, nice. Very what nice. Were the other tiers that I missed in there, there was probably a cart only and I imagine yeah. with all sorts of swag. Yeah, no, he kind of offered something for everyone with um, the ROM release. You know, we we talked about it a few episodes ago, kind of like, you know, what's the deal with these ROM releases these days? Because he and I both started way back in the day when that was not a thing. And I appreciate that people are doing it now because I've I don't need more stuff in my house, but I love being able to say, hey, you made a great game. Let me give you 10 bucks, even if I don't need a cartridge. So, Kevin, thank you for doing that. Back in the day, like you released the ROM, you'd find other people selling it on cart a week later and profiting instead of you, and nobody would actually give you money. Well, that might be true. And it's not about the money, but you also don't want to <laughs> see somebody pirating. Somebody ripping you off. Yeah, thank you. Um, I don't know if that makes sense to everybody, but it does to me on a personal level. And it did to Kevin, um, I think. May he rest in pieces. Yeah. Nescape pieces. Uh, puzzle pieces. Um, so, yeah, you could just back, as always, you know, you get the tote bag for a buck or whatever. You do the $10, you get the ROM version, and not just some PC version that you're never going to play, but an actual ROM version. And I, I love that, because I've got, you know, PC versions of a few Kickstarter games, and I don't think I've ever played them. I think I own Eskimo Bob. I've Sorry, Thomas, I've never played that on my PC, because I'm never going to play it on there. You know, it's the wrong release is what I'm going to play. Tomas Talbear. Oh, and, pardon. Yeah, and he did make it available on, like, modern platforms, but I don't always know if the crowd that plays NES games is the same crowd that plays PC games. I would love feedback on that. If you're interested, please write into the assembly line at 1-800-and-whatever, you know, the number for the... 1-800-Bose-House. Uh, yeah, the OxyClean is... Uh, he also had physical release, which is always great because it's something you can keep, uh, even if you don't like to collect stuff, Nathan. Yep. 
that was a full CIB. Boxes were done by Frank. Le Kevin figured out... Uh, no, he did labels through Frank. Boxes, manual labels are all through Frank, which he has done many a game over his day. He, he did Arm for Battle, which we will someday cover when I have the time to play it in its entirety for real instead of just testing. Didn't you play through it about 100 times when you were testing, though? Yeah, you one of those games where you put 140 hours into and you're like, I don't want to play this again. It's going to be a while, Frank. Sorry. Well, I do love that he did a tier that was, you know, bundled with the mouse. Just we were talking about. I've had trouble finding one. I know I could probably go to eBay and get a Hyperkin mouse. But the fact that there was a tier that came with the mouse, to me, that was just great. You can buy it as a package deal and play the game as it was intended to be played. So I thought that was a really cool tier. Yeah, he had these weird names for things like go digital, go physical, go adaptive, go limited, go optical, and that, or no, go actual. No, actual is what it was optical. No, actual is if you pay 10K, you can stay at his house for the night, and I don't know what happens. But, <laughs> but go the lodging was not included. He paid the airfare, but not the lodging. Yeah, yeah, but you do get a name like half the levels in the incident too, if you're in the right state of mind. I don't think that was concluded with it either, though. You have to bring your own. Very nice, sir. Very nice. Um, yeah, so like the Go Optical included the mouse and various other things, but you know he had tiers, and again, you're jumping to like the most expensive tier, other than the Go Sleep in Kevin's, you know, guest room. And there were other ones where you, you could just buy an SNES to NES adapter, which was pioneered by a certain Kickstarter called Spookatron. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of it, but we never quite like released the adapter. And so Kevin has now got, oh, 79, almost 80 people. Yep, that'd be one after 79. Uh, 80 people with adapters now, so that's a few hundred. So just it it makes it more feasible for a lot of us to release games that use SNES support in one way or another. And I'm counting on you guys to get those out there because I'm planning to support that for my game when it comes out. So people buy those adapters. And yeah, uh, he just, he did a variety of tiers for all walks of life and dare I say all ages. And he did a good job with it. I mean, he raised like almost 40 grand with this thing. Yeah, I was impressed at how successful this was. I, that was fun to see. You know, first you had Micromages and then you had this, which, I mean, it wasn't quite Micromages, but still seeing this level of success from kind of a few back-to-back -back Kickstarters was really exciting to see. Was that a sick burn? Well, that wasn't a burn. That was just, I mean, my point was both of them were amazing, <laughs> even if it wasn't Micromages blow your pants out of the water amazing. <laughs> think that was a burn <laughs> no that was not a burn that was uh, i, I want to start and do something on kickstarter because i'm getting jealous of all you guys uh beyond the monetary amount the number that really stands out to me was the 557 people that came out to support this project and that it just shows that the community is very much alive it's it's very healthy it's actually healthier than it was in the days of and kevin did this 10 limited copies where you bid one bid as much as you, you know, you think you can afford and right. you know, that's, that's all you get and you make most of your money off of 10 copies. Whereas this is showing that 
there's a lot of people interested in this stuff and it's just about getting the word out. If you can get the word out, if you make it accessible, people, people love it. People are interested. And so I'd like to say Kevin did a great job with this, but what I'd really like to say is thank you to all those who helped share it and promote it and tell their friends that NES games still exist and we are still doing what we do. Even if you can't play it on the Retron 2 because it uses advanced GT ROM features. But anyways. Yeah, I have to agree with you. I was talking to a friend that uh, saw some, I think it was the Retrotainment booth. There was a PAX and he's like, I, I saw these people making new Nintendo games and he was so excited. He's like, maybe I should look at this, maybe buy some. So people are interested and that's exciting. And one of the, one of the key parts of Kevin's campaign that I, I per, on a personal level, I was very impressed with because I, I've done a Kickstarter campaign and it did in the greater scheme of things, very poorly compared to everybody else's, but that's because I stopped working the day that I launched the campaign. And I have told everybody since then, like the day you stop with the game and start the Kickstarter, that's actually the day you start working. Yes, that's when you have to hit the promotion. You have to hit the advertising. You have to hit selling your game, telling people how awesome it is. I feel like it's this great thing to have built a game, but if nobody knows about it, it doesn't really do you any good, as I've come to find out. And so Kevin took that to heart. So I feel like you're about to tie into his awesome promotional video that he made, which just blew my mind when I saw it. Promo- what are you talking about promotional video? That was, they were filming the day they decided that they came up with it. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> um, no, he did tons of promotion. He reached out to YouTubers. He you know spread the word through social media. And he really took his time with the Kickstarter campaign. The game was done like a month before it actually launched, which is the inverse of what you've seen with a lot of the projects out there. I want to say, yeah, so he could finish or devote his whole entire time at that point to promoting it, to tweeting about it, to passing out reviewer copies, to getting the word out. Yeah. When you say to uh, the Twitter world, who wants a free copy? (laughs) That was amazing. Did you know they line up? Like, that was intense. Uh, I'd be really curious afterwards to uh, to f- find out which, I mean, I don't know the, how much detail he's going to go into, but which of those he felt like really paid off and which were just people grubbing for a free copy of the game. I know who they are. Because <laughs> yeah. I, have, I have that list. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> That's an important list. And with an escape room, he actually has physical props in the video. You'll see things like, you know, the little curio cabinet and nightstand. And that to me was the coolest. The physicality of these things in the video or in the game. And they're real things. And you can see them in his video. I'm sorry I interrupted you, but that was no, just, you're fine. To me, that was so cool. What I want to know is when Kevin's going to take all these things and make the real life version of this escape room so we can go down to his house and play it. Uh, well, you know, he's in Florida. I don't know if the old people are going to quite understand what he's doing, what he's up <laughs> the to. The old people and the alligators might give us trouble. Uh, so do you have a favorite musical track that you would recommend? Um, I liked either the opening music, um, which was simple and... Title screen, you mean? Yeah, the title screen. The title screen music, which was kind of mysterious, reminded me of Final Fantasy a bit. Um, because it was, was just for the title that, screen, yeah. it didn't it didn't go as many places. It wasn't as long, but it, no, but it had it captured this. Oh, I want to play this game. 
So that or the last chapter, which just kind of took the themes and the style of music and just built up the suspense, I think. Those to me were the most interesting ones. Here is the final track from the game, which I have not heard, but Nathan has and thinks is very good.
All right. So uh, it turns out that Kevin is not actually missing and we found him. So all those questions that we had for Kevin, turns out he's going to be back to answer them and I'm going to be out of a job here. It was fun while it lasted. So thank you, Bo, um, for letting me pretend to be Kevin for a while. Always good to have you on, Tall Bear. Before I disappear, I do want to ask Kevin some questions. So, Kevin, we've got your, uh, you're the guy we're interviewing now. So, I want to start off with a question, which is... You didn't, you didn't do it. You got to say, uh, Kevin, you there? Oh, right. <laughs> Kevin, are you there? I am here, yes. How's it been going? Hey, nice to hear your uh, beautiful voice. How are you doing at my job? I don't know. How am I doing at your job? You have to listen to it later and uh, give me some feedback. Oh, I'm excited. I thought about starting to pretend to be you, but I don't know if I can do your voice. Uh, the main thing you have to perfect is the laugh, I think. <laughs> How's that? Oh, that was decent. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, <laughs> Kevin, tell us about kind of the inspiration for this game. Bo was telling us a little bit of the, uh, the backstory, how you guys were sitting around brainstorming, but I want to hear it from you. Well, I've been... I've been a pretty big fan of escape rooms um, for a few years now. I I was randomly in Atlanta uh, one year, and we had a couple days off, and my friends and I didn't have anything to do, so... You were stuck at the airport, weren't you? No, 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 no. I actually went for a Weezer concert, which is funny, but, you know, we, we didn't have anything to do, so we found this escape room, and all of us had heard of them, but none of us had tried it, so we collectively thought it'd be a good idea, so... We went and had an amazing time, um, and ever since then, like I've gotten more and more friends into it, so it's become kind of a, a thing that we do as often as possible. So um, I don't know, like thinking about my love for them, I, I thought it might be fun to try to recreate um, the experience on an NES because uh, I think that puzzle games in general, um, but especially like point and click, it's just like an under underrepresented genre on systems. So sort of Definitely. combining my desire to want to do these two things, uh, it birthed uh, this thing. That is such a handling thing to say. We need more puzzle games and more point and clicks and boom. Well, I mean, uh. it's, I want to play so many of these games but like and there were what four for the uh you know the nintendo that were licensed games yeah but how many of those can you even like consider point and click other than i think king's quest is the only like legit point and click game or at least it for adventures go the shadowgate type games were good point and clicks shadowgate deja vu <laughs> uninvited they were good yeah it's just it's i they're different games to me it's like it's it's a different genre and i don't know why it, that it's that way in my head but it's because they're mac venture games by a different company but uh oh, okay fair enough I, I just wanted like if no one else is gonna make these games i'm gonna make you're these gonna make games. them i yeah. think that's the way a lot of homebrewers do it you make the game that you wish existed and now yeah. you can do it Absolutely. Like Frogger or Larry or E.T. I mean, we e. all thought, I wish I could play E.T. on a different <laughs> system. I'm not sure if that's sarcasm, but I love that game. I love E.T. too, Kevin, but I don't know that I ever wished I could play it on a different system. Well, I've heard numerous people tell me that the only time they've ever played it is on the NES. So I brought that game you go. to them. I'm one of those people. Uh, I have a collection of like 30 ET cards. Um, <laughs> but there is one game that hasn't been mentioned this episode that you've brought to the NES, which we don't need to mention yet. But uh, Sneak a peek. No, I didn't say that. <laughs> well, uh, now we've mentioned it, so <laughs> carry on. I didn't say that. 
But like with Larry, you took what was a point and click and turned it into something that was appropriate for the NES. Whereas with Nescape, you've actually made, you know, you scroll the cursor scrolls just like it was a mouse. Uh, it picks up momentum, speed. It's very, you know, pixel perfect and all that. You're not walking around talking to people choosing from a menu like Dragon Warrior. And so you did something a little different with this one that is commendable, dare I say. Well, I don't want to take really any credit for it because, um, you know, the, the use of peripherals has gotten more and more common, you know, the past couple of years with people, like people of coded games, they want to do more. Um, so they sort of try to figure out how to bring these different items, you know, into controlling the game in different ways. So that was building Steam. So my idea for this and that kind of just transpired at the same time. Yeah, but even when you're using the D-pad, it still moves as if it was a point-and-click, not a point-and-click adapted to the NES. Like, that's true, yeah. Yeah, that's true. I'll I commend your use of peripherals. but uh, <laughs> Hey, you said that word so well. Thank you, thank you. Just like I'm, you know, got a 10-gallon hat on. <laughs> Anyways, Nathan... Give us another question, sir. So one thing I've wondered, Kevin, is what was the the planning or collaborative process like in coming up with the puzzles and the flow of the thing? Like, I always wondered that with escape rooms in general, because you kind of have this flow of you have to solve this before you can solve this, and you solve these two, and it leads into this, and these different types of puzzles. What was that process like for you? You just turned collaborative into peripheral. (laughs) Uh, I I just want to point that out. Collaborative? Collaborative. Well, um... I, I went into a little bit of this story on the uh, the promotional video that Bo apparently thinks we just threw together in an so hour authentic. the day of. So authentic. And I may have just fast-forwarded and only looked at the pictures and not listened. No, no problem. Um, I went over to Kendall's because I, you know, I had this desire to make this game, but I didn't know how to start. I figured if I could just like come up with the first puzzle to get the game going, like the rest would just magically follow. So I went to Kendall's house and I was like, can you think of like what a good first puzzle would be for an escape room game? And you know, this idea flew out and this idea flew out on the lights. It's hard enough. No, that was, that was my, (laughs) that was my brainchild. And I feel like I, I hear, you know, people saying that that's such a frustrating mechanic, but I don't know, like that kind of thing, like even in maniac mansion, like it just, it was in so many old computer games. That is true. It just seems, yeah, it just seems like, a logical puzzle element and you you get thrown in a room that you've never been to before and nathan you've mentioned that you've done escape rooms in the past like i've been in numerous escape rooms where it starts with the lights off it's just a thing so <laughs> it's the natural had done that but anyway sorry carry on um but yeah so we sat down and i was like what is a good first puzzle we started throwing out ideas before i knew it like the end of the night we had the entire game planned out every single puzzle. Like we would get stuck. Like, how do we get from this idea to this idea? And maybe that didn't come, you know, in sequence from beginning to end, but we would think of these things to insert, um, just in different parts of the game. And we, we came up with the, all the, all the major ideas and actually had, you know, sketches of each wall where each item would be, you know, what you would need. Sketches to get from on this. paper. You mean? Yes. Hand drawn. So you really planned the whole thing out before you got into the technical elements of how do I do it? Oh, 100%. And like along the way, I would kind of 
think I can probably pull that off and not, I didn't want my coding ability to inhibit the puzzle design in any way. So I just assumed when we get to that point, I'll figure it out. Were there any you had to cut because you ran out, you couldn't do it or you ran out of time or your graphics skill. He had no skill. Uh, Honestly, every single puzzle that we thought of made it into the game. Wow. You heard a toot in a distance. <laughs> there were there were actually two extras that we needed. Like at certain points, because you never know how a game's going to play when you're planning it out. After we sort of got a couple builds in the game of a little bit of the game, we'd realize like, oh, this part is too quick. We need to insert another puzzle here. So there were a couple puzzles we inserted after the fact to elongate you know, various chapters. But for the most part, the entire game was, was programmed uh, or, you know, conceptualized the first night. That's what that Simon was for, to spread out that last chapter, make me take some more time <laughs> on it. No, that actually was planned from the start. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I just tell you, as that timer is running down and I'm so mad at that thing, it's going to go again. I have to do another round. Yeah, and it, it was it was hard deciding how long we wanted to make that because if it's not long enough, like it's just it's too not easy. challenging. Yeah. yeah, so I wanted to get right to the point where you're starting to struggle, and that's that's where I cut it off. Nice. He hates that puzzle like I hate the first puzzle. <laughs> well, I think people's main complaint is that the puzzle might be too slow because I, you know, it, it goes at a certain speed. Right, you can't rush through it. It goes yeah. at the speed that it goes. And I think when you're stuck at that Simon, you know, the the the, the slow the slowness of the speed is accentuated because like when you're going that slow and waiting for something, time seems like it's speeding up in the timer. So it's like it's killing you extra. Well, and it's so near the end of the game, too, that you're like, yep. I can do it. I've got 10 minutes. I can do this. Is this going to yeah. take 10 minutes? Yeah. I really hope you played the music from that last chapter because that music is so intense for that moment. It's so perfect. Yeah. So you've done escape rooms in the past. And what kind of role did those play? in the making of Nescape. Uh, was there anything specifically that you've encountered that you incorporated, or was it just kind of the general feel? Yeah, I don't think there's anything I stole from any of the rooms I've done in the past, but... It's okay, most of them are probably closed up now, so you're good to go on that. No, I think everyone I've ever done is still... Like, they're thriving right now. Those businesses are crazy. Uh, yeah, I don't think there's anything that I took directly from the rooms, but having done so many, you start sort of feeling like there's a feel and a sort of a puzzle like puzzles sort of um, play off each other to where like different puzzles have different like you need different strengths to get through them. So you you start forming an idea of like what would make a complete feeling escape room. So um, but I just basically took the the general feeling I got from those and, and tried my best to sort of. Uh, create this world you know along with Kendall we came up with uh, the sort of world that you play through so it was fun taking ideas that we thought could be found you know they wouldn't seem um, foreign in, a, in an escape room we, we did we tried to bring them into the NES so I hope we captured at least some of that no I think you did this world there were eight crystals a purple Ganon Russians obviously and all that well, there's not uh we we tried to leave as much 
uh, plot-wise up, up to interpretation. And, and that's not... People might say that's a cop-out, but I think that the more you explain to someone, the less mysterious it seems. So I really wanted the player to immediately... You know, you turn on the game, there's a puzzle on the, pu- on the title screen, and you're like, what's going on? Immediately, you're sort of disoriented with, a, with the feeling of a typical video game. So we wanted to sort of throw people in there, disorient them, you know, give them as little information as possible, and just see how it plays out. I think that worked great. Like, it's sort of the thing with a horror movie, where as soon as they show the monster, it's not scary anymore. If you had said the whole story, it wouldn't have felt mysterious. But as it was, I don't know why I'm in this room. Why am I trapped? I don't know what's going on. I think you nailed it. Yeah, and I even went so far as, um, you know, when when John was sending me art throughout the process, um, some of the art had, like, words on them. Like, the the Walkman had, like, a, a play on Sony. Um, different different items from the game had words, and I, I wanted to go so far away from that that I was just like, take any semblance of any language, like, out of the game. And, you know, we wound up having a little phrase at the end of the game and then i bookended it with a phrase at the beginning of the game but in the middle you know in in the gameplay itself there is zero uh zero words other than the numbers on the the phone obviously well of all the puzzles that we talked about bo and i kind of talked about our favorites what kevin what was your favorite puzzle either to make or just conceptually it's crazy that i i feel like this is the same and this is complete like ridiculous for me to say but i feel like this is how seinfeld feels when someone's like, what's your favorite Seinfeld episode? Like, I love all of these puzzles for different reasons because they all sort of speak to a different part of, of me as like what I love in a puzzle. <laughs> um, but I think I was most excited for the Marble Maze just because I wanted to figure out how to program it. The solution we came up with to sort of make it work in a video game, I think, was pretty clever. But what were you going to say, Bo? Oh, nothing. Nothing at all. Oh, Oh yeah, oh, there it is. I I see where you're going with this now. Yes. Oh Bo, no, not at all. I reached out to Bo for ideas of how to pull it off, and he <laughs> is the one who sort of led me down the path uh, to arrive I, there. I so. have I have to assert my credit in two ways because I was given the opportunity to test, and I suck at this game and couldn't actually provide. The feedback that was necessary in a timely manner, still working on it. You have to get through the game to properly test the game. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> well, I I think that your inserting yourself is not unfounded because everyone on this podcast knows how terrible my memory is. So I'm very glad that you took it upon yourself to remind me uh, here Two live things. on the air, Two so to things. speak. One was the Marvel maze, and so yes, now that turned out wonderfully. And I, I won't take credit for it turning out wonderfully. I just kind of gave you some hints, but uh, and maybe fabricated some animated gifts. Uh, I don't know. I don't <laughs> recall. Um, but whatever you did with it was so much more than whatever you were suggested by peons like me. <laughs> <laughs> it turned out very nice. I'm very proud of it. It was. I was. I was a kind of ashamed. Not kind of ashamed. Kind of disappointed when I went to play it today that I could cheat by just like gently tapping the button. I felt like I should be punished for that. Yeah, yeah. have the inertia that the real game has, where the ball just keeps well, going and you get angry. Yeah, where you're a failure all the time. It does if you don't use the pixel cheat. Um, but I knew that 
I, I, it's, it's a struggle because you have to find this balance between what's too hard and what's too easy. Absolutely. And it's like a constant like tweaking. Um, so I felt like the, the marble maze was almost too hard when I didn't have that cheat in there. I could believe that. Yeah. But it's tough because I see people immediately switch to that. And it makes me sad because like allowing the marble to start rolling really does produce realistic control. Like it feels real. Um, so I don't know, like try it either way. It's cool that it's in there regardless, but I'm, I'm very proud that we, uh, pulled that guy off. I had 20 minutes left. I was not going to mess around with that. We were just going to finish <laughs> it. Like, that was it. Um, but the, the most clever puzzle that I'm most proud of, um, and I don't want to give it away in, in detail, but toward the end of the game, you're presented with uh, a scrambled wall. Oh, I didn't get that far. Yeah, and... What I don't think a lot of people... Well, I can't say that because it's going to give it away. There's a technique that I use where two different walls change. Um, as you change a tile on one wall, the other wall changes. But not a lot of people see it because you can kind of solve it without revealing that. Um, but that's the the puzzle I think is most clever in the game. But I don't think many people are even going to see it, which makes me sad. Yeah, I I think I know what you're talking about. And I... I missed that. If you beat the game and you want to know what I'm talking about, send me a message and I bet you will not even realize uh, this other thing is in the game. The joy of homebrews. So, who... You know, you were working on this game. It was a very fast development process, especially for how complex it is. But you showed it to certain people and at certain events. What... What was the feedback you received from people? Honestly, a lot of the a lot of the benefit from uh, bringing this game to expos isn't even in them giving me direct feedback. It's in seeing how they play the game, because once you sit down to play a game, everyone's going to approach it from a different you know mindset. Um, so seeing people try to approach things from different directions led me to sort of narrow like if i had a very specific idea of how i wanted this puzzle done i would you know narrow the scope to to only allow it to be attacked from this angle um so sort of tweaking the puzzles um one way or the other either making them easier or making them harder um but also i don't know i think i think it's mostly that just kind of tweaking the game to narrow the focus to what you originally intended uh, vision-wise. I like that you respected your own vision and didn't let the player feedback affect that as much. Like, you've done it in the past. You've been like, oh, this is too hard, or this is too difficult. I've belabored certain things you did, like in Larry and whatnot, where it's like, you can't do this to people anymore. But this game, you stuck with your, your intent. For the most part, um, this was the first major project that I had, like, an actual team. Um, So I, in the past, I've been very resistant to anyone giving me any suggestions because I'm going to make the game how I fucking want to make the game because it's my game. Um, But for this game, I really, beta testers and uh, the team that helped me with the different facets of the game, like, I was very receptive 
to, or at least tried to be, uh, for their ideas. So um, I, I did let up a lot, uh, a lot more than previous projects. But yeah, as far as um, like player feedback, um, s some of the review copies, and I'm sure we'll get to this in future questions, some of the review copies made very uh, strong points that I had to concede. Like, you know what, they're right. Mm -hmm. I need the changes for the betterment of the game as a whole. Um, but yeah, most of the actual player feedback, I just, you know, tough. This is a puzzle game. <laughs> you want to give a shout out to some of your beta testers? Oh, absolutely. Um, so Mog, who uh, he's on Nintendo Wages Mog. His name's Jason. Jason with an E. Yeah, he was the man. Like he was always like twenty four seven available to like, hey, test this right now. Give me feedback, and he was super encouraging. Like every every time I would send him a, a you know a future part of the game, like it, he said it would like blow his mind that like these complex huge complex additions to the game are like in there now it it just kept making the game feel larger and larger so he was sort of the main go-to guy um sergio uh who's done um some music uh and sort of helm uh, headed up uh, the ninja one and two projects um he hopped on as like the second main beta tester and he was also um super just super good about like immediate feedback like he would download the ROM I programmed and release that day, he would play it that night, and the next day he would have these really long write-ups. So uh, he was essential uh, to the success of the project. Um, and then Nathan, uh, who has done, I hope, a wonderful job of this podcast so far. We'll see. Yeah, so he he has been a, a major proponent in the past um, of you know releasing NES ROMs as a viable option because he wants to play it on you know his phone or you know different platforms on the go. He was very he was essential on like testing the game because I never thought mobile would be a, a viable platform you know for a game, uh, especially on NES because it's so hard to control. Um, but he said he had this emulator on his phone that. Uh, supported GT ROM, so I was like, "Prove it!" Uh, and he wound up being way more than just a mobile tester. Like he had numerous bug finds, suggestions. Uh, so yeah, he he really helped out. So like, I was very fortunate to have people who wanted to play that damn slide puzzle over and over. <laughs> I uh, that a lot. Then my wife looks over my shoulder and she's like, "I want to play that game." <laughs> oh, no, she doesn't. That was one of the few few Nintendo games that my wife wanted to play. So good job, Kevin. Yeah, and that's another benefit of the game. Like, it's you don't have to be a, a quote unquote like gatekeeper type gamer to uh, to enjoy this game. You can just enjoy puzzle games. I mean, my grandma likes puzzle games, so um, anyone can enjoy this game. Which is funny though, because like Jason and Sergio are both very good gamers, but you had kind of Nintendo's top tier gamer himself play your game oh who who is this the master gamer no the game master oh howard yes you know we're talking about howard man oh howard yeah like when i was told that he was playing my game that's terrifying like, this was the guy who single, almost single, well, probably most of the time single-handedly decided, like, what games were going to be released in the States um, on the NES. Like, the games that we grew up with, he said, yes, we're going to release this on the NES in America. We're going to release this. Howard like Howard Phillips. The guy that said, yes, we can release Silent Service. 
Yeah, well, I mean, he, he didn't win them all. Uh, you know, you got you got to have some cash grabs here and there. But yeah, he's like, I hear he's sitting down playing my game. There's like picture proof. That's terrifying. We have pictures. Yes. Yeah, that's that was scary, but exhilarating. He did not care for your light switch puzzle. <laughs> just, just gonna tell you that now. I, I didn't tell you that before, but he did not care for the light switch puzzle. Hey, he he's he grew up on the NES. He wasn't a PC gamer. He's he's not a yeah, real gamer. Pile of garbage that Howard Phillips. <laughs> Get Nestor in here. He'll know what to do. That's right. That's right. Maybe he needs to read a Nintendo Power uh, tip on that. One of the things that I talked about with Howard when because uh, you weren't an MGC, I was there and I was kind of walking him through it. Somehow I was bestowed the honor of walking him through somebody else's game, never my own, which. He did not care for Spookatron. Um, <laughs> that's a story for a different day and why I think his ratings are garbage. <laughs> um, but he's looking at your game and I was trying to explain to him like we use technical features these days that you guys didn't have available back then. And he was like, well, what do you mean? I was like, you know, you guys like had the mmc5 and he was like oh yeah that was like 55 bucks a board and i was like so that's why you were selling games for 70 bucks a pop (laughs) that makes sense if the board costs that much for nintendo yeah Yeah. that's crazy and i was like yeah we we have a much cheaper option these days with a mambler's gt rom you have used it in different ways than most people have before and most probably most importantly different ways than you yourself have used it before so what kind of led you in these new directions uh honestly it was the demands of the various puzzles like when you're playing a marble maze it has you would immediately think it has four orientations up down left right but it also needs to be level that's five that's five orientations. The NES typically, even on advanced mappers, only allow for four. So GT ROM has the ability to actually load eight name tables, you know, in memory, and you can switch between them sort of on the fly. So having that ability was incredible. Like I use that in a lot of areas of the game. There's a piggy bank in the game that does different things. It has more than four sort of you know, graphical animation frames. And when you have an animation that large on the screen, you can't use sprites. You have to somehow animate a background multiple times, more than four. So GT ROM was perfect for that sort of thing. You continue to teach me new ways to program for the NES. I love it. (laughs) That's unexpected but it's nice to hear thank you i was i was skeptical after the fact that you did everything in nmi but um (laughs) i still i that's another podcast i guess but i still don't understand what the hell i'm doing wrong but it works Mm -hmm. you know what if it works keep Mm -hmm. at it anybody that tells you you're doing it wrong they can (laughs) if you want to check out how it doesn't work hard coding it's a terrible idea (laughs) please see scarecart 2018 if you want to see how it doesn't work uh well you know (laughs) we won't get into that yeah speaking of the the technical things you were doing what was kind of your favorite that was more of a technical trick or accomplishment so what's crazy is on every screen in the game 
I'm using two background CHR files, two background graphics files at the same time on every screen. One for the inventory, because all the items in the inventory take up a shit ton of tiles, and there's no way you can have that much in memory while at the same time displaying a full 3D screen. So right down there where the inventory starts, I switch to another uh, graphics file, and that is always the first name table. So it never redraws itself. It draws the background screen and then uses the first name table, and unless an item changes, it never draws down there again, which is pretty cool. Now, are you timing that, or are you using a sprite zero hit, or using some other trickery? Uh, It's a sprite zero hit, yeah. And then you have to multiply that with like a screen like the typewriter, which also has a split where the paper moves. So I'm using a delay loop there, waiting, and then doing a sprite zero hit where the inventory is. So the (laughs) typewriter screen is very complex. That sounds awful. Yeah, it was fun. You did a good job with it. And it like it it came down to the zero hour on like getting that to look pretty. And I asked literally every great mind in the NES homebrew scene right now, I went to them begging, tell me how to fix this. Everyone had ideas, but uh, no one sort of panned out uh, until, of course, Bunny Boy, in like a moment of getting away from his kids, was like, hey, just do it this way. And I'm like, holy shit, like, no one even thought to try this, and it works perfectly. So, as epic as Nescape is, your promotion and build-up for it was off the charts. I mean, it, it was done like nobody else did it before. Do you have any stories to share, kind of, from that side of things? Well, you know, I'd like to say that I took the time to like analyze every sort of preceding Kickstarter analyzed how they did things. And I did do that, but no matter how much I planned it, it's just sort of random how things transpire. So when I finally got, um, you know, our, our good friend, Aaron Edelman printed me some, some sort of prototype items, you know, the labels, he printed me a box, he printed me a manual um, for the initial Kickstarter video, just so I could have sort of physical mock-ups of how everything was going to look. When I got the labels from him, I just sort of threw them on some carts and wound up like taking a like a, a sort of half-assed picture just for the hell of it, to like just, I'm proud that this exists now. Here, I'm going to post this. Oh, I need a throwaway line. Who wants this for free? Like, just did not even plan it. Just did it as like an afterthought. The picture like blew up like it's getting liked it's getting retweeted like when you're looking at the total reach of this picture it's like tens of thousands of people and it's like oh shit like i guess people are going to be paying attention to this now like i need to sort of how do i keep this going so it's just sort of like trying everything i could think of like who can i send this to i need to try to find a bigger audience like there's YouTube guys who have a different audience than the Twitch scre- streamers who have a different audience than the typical homebrew reviewers. And I just sort of like tried to space out these review copies as like far out as I could to like just sh- throw spaghetti against the wall and see what sticks. Um, and honestly, like some of the people paid off big time. Some of the people never did a damn thing. 
who begged me the most to get a copy. And, you know, there's going to be those people, oh, you know, I have these sort of fresh ideas, give me a chance. Oh, I'm not going to wind up doing anything. I just wanted a free game. But you don't know who to trust. So you want to give people a chance. So you sort of try to pick people from different fields, hope it pays off. And some of them did. Uh, and I was very thankful that it, 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 that it did as well as it did because it was a surprise even to me. Yeah, it was exciting to see how well it did. Yeah, one really interesting one, and I, I still don't quite, I don't quite understand this, but one of the main people who reached out to me who was super hyped on it, um, and I'm, I'm not going to name him by name, but he was an editor for like a prominent PC gaming magazine. And I thought, oh shit, like this guy grew up playing classic PC games if anyone in the world is going to get this game, like my game, like understand it, it's going to be this guy. I got to send him a copy. Went out of my way um, to send him one. That dude hated my game more <laughs> oh, than no. any, like it, I don't, I just, I don't understand it because classic PC point and click games, which I've seen him rave about, they have that sort of pixel hunting where you have to like find like even in maniac mansion oh the light switch is on this pixel you know it, the the joy is like searching for it oh i found it haha that's fun that's a common pc trope like he immediately sent me these like direct direct messages that were just like what the fuck like this is annoying like why do i have to take the time to find this stupid light switch like why would you put this in a game and it's like you write about classic PC games. Like, I don't... What do you mean? Like, whatever. Like, I'm not going to, like, harp on it, but, like, I did not understand that. So that's clearly one that did not pay off. Your <laughs> interaction with the mainstream media will always impress me because I won't do it. <laughs> well, I mean, you want to you try. Like, this guy writes for this huge magazine. Like, this is clearly a callback to these old PC games. Maybe he would write about it. Yeah, if he promotes it, you have a huge audience then. Yeah, that, uh, he did not. He did not utter a word about that game. There, it's that difference between nostalgia and yes, I would still appreciate this in the present. Right. Yeah, and y you're right. Like, w just because something was prominent back then, should we reuse it? Eh, I don't know. You know, some of that stuff was tedious, but I don't know. I think there's some fun to be had. And, you know, there aren't many other puzzles in the game where you have to pixel hunt. So, and it's always in the same place. <laughs> right. That dark puzzle that Nathan hates. Yeah, that's right. Um, <laughs> is there anything, obviously you don't you know, hate the darkness, but is there anything in it that you, looking back, you regret or you wish you had done differently or you didn't get to do that you wanted to do? Well... Yes, um, but this is a tough question because I wanted to stick to the original vision. Right. So when I when when Kendall and I were sort of coming up with the ideas, um, and I'm sure this was a lot of people's complaint with the game is the the spoken word clues. When you have the idea of oh shit, I'm gonna hide actual you. verbal you. words in the you. game because you. all of the. I know that you've been saying that, like, joking about it, but, like, you. putting actual, like, s spoken word you. in the game <laughs> that's used, that's never you. been done on the NES. It's, it's one of those things that you encounter, and, like, I did not look this one up. I looked up several things in the game, and I'm sitting there, and I, I click it, 
and it says you six times. I'm like, okay, screw you, Kevin. And I click it about 50 times and I'm on different screens and it still keeps saying you, you. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? I don't. And I, I look at the thing that says film and I'm like, no, that's four letters. This is three letters. And I have no clue what to do. And I, I, I don't want to give spoilers. I don't. But I'm going to give this one because there is something that you have overlooked because it's so mundane that you can type the word you into. <laughs> and sure enough, when I, when I finally had the moment where I was, I typed it in, I was just like, Kevin. <laughs> it was yeah. such a good feeling though like because you use the sample channel in a way and i i had the volume cranked to the point where my grandma who's downstairs <laughs> a floor downstairs is going are the neighbors playing music and i'm like no it's, it's fine there's no big deal here <laughs> I, was, I was carrying my phone around the house playing it asking my kids and my wife what's this say what's this say but kevin i loved hearing actually the way you described it because as playing it i could feel what you were saying which was the idea of this clue or how you put this in is totally awesome and i wish it would have worked better it just didn't work as well as it could have yeah i mean it's probably the weakest part of the game uh in practicality but i think cleverness that of the idea and I, I put more hours into trying to get that as clear as possible as I could. So um, I did my best, guys. Yeah, and I understand why you wouldn't want to cut it because it's so cool. So, yeah. yeah, I get it. So with all of that, like, you've made this great game. It's, it's no incident. It's no E.T. Uh, it is something... Were those two on the same level? I'm <laughs> yeah, confused. I'm trying to figure out <laughs> which <laughs> one's the bad one and which one's the. <laughs> you you know I always hold your original efforts like study hall and the incident and now Nescape, not Nescape, right. Nescape, uh, <laughs> on kind of a higher tier of this is Kevin Hanley in his final form. <laughs> Like, will we be seeing a sequel to this? Uh, are you and John going to work together in future things? You and Kindle, you and Travis, or Eric? What are we going to see in the future? Uh, I will say, I would love, um, I would, I would love to do a sequel to this game. Uh, I would be lying if I said we haven't constantly been trying to come up with ideas, and we have many of them. Uh, but I think the it's it's up to the people who are playing it. Like if they want to see a sequel and they tell us they want us to do a sequel, yes, we'll do one. Um, but if if like most of my other games, I release it and I, who who the hell knows if anyone's playing it? If there's no like chatter, I'm not gonna like why bother. Uh, so we'll see. I'd like to play it because I think that's what I finished the game and I'm like, well, that was fun. I'm like, oh, it's over. I want more. So I'd like to see a sequel. The best compliment. But to answer your, sorry, to answer the second part of your question, I would love to work with John again. And uh, we're actually, we have many, many things planned. Uh, my games and his games. So, uh, yeah, you'll see more collaborations for sure. Well, Kevin, like, 
it was kind of a sad day to me to have to kick you off this podcast and find find somebody else <laughs> like Tall Bear who could fill your shoes, but I guess we're going to have to give him the boot and bring you back. I'm excited to come back. I miss it. Yeah, let's bring you back. Nathan, I'm sorry. Uh, we're just going to have to do the, we're going to have to do this on air. Uh you're <laughs> I'm fired. Uh, one one gig and I'm done. Well, before you go, though, will you tell us what you're up to in the greater scheme of things besides uh, thinking that you have a future on a podcast? Yeah, uh, mostly I'm spending most of my development time working on Halcyon. Um, I think you guys have talked about it in little smidgens here and there. but Halcyon means uh, days of yore that were yes, once Yes, looking back great. to the past and the and yeah. how great things were before. And that has... it. If the plot that we develop works the way we want to. It kind of ties into kind of the mystery and the plot of what the game's about. But um, it's kind of, I've always described it as taking Metroid and Blaster Master and kind of smashing them all up together. Blastervania. So, Blastervania. There you go. So I'm working <laughs> with Franken graphics. She's doing art for it. Um, and so I'm powering away at that. I've been working on it for a couple of years and finally at the point where I'm making content and building that out. So Got a lot to work to go, but it's getting there. You say that, but you are notorious for competition games. Will we be seeing a competition game this next year? You know, I don't know. Each year, I think I'm not going to do a competition game because I'm, I want to focus on Halcyon. And then at the last minute, I'm like, oh, I'll make one. So I don't have any brilliant ideas for a competition game right now. But might I suggest a slide puzzle? Ooh, I oh, like it. You. <laughs> Um, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. I like the idea of making more four-player cheesy things, so that might happen. Oh, yeah, you did Space McRacy, you've done the Appetizer Cart. Yeah. Uh, Super, Super Home, Home Brew War. War last time, so... I don't know I like if people stuff I can know play this. With all my kids. You've, yeah, your daughter was toast. Literally toast. <laughs> this is true. With legs and arms <laughs> and the game. That's so good. Like I've said before, as long as I know people are enjoying my games, I'm happy, so... That is nice to hear. Oh, I well, I don't think anybody told you nobody enjoyed Spacey McGracy. <laughs> <laughs> not not one. It ranked pretty low on the bottom of the competition list that year. So. Oh yeah, we talked about you with the uh, four-player failures. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you were right above. Nothing good can come of this. <laughs> and I loved Ouch. that one. So. So you're the one. <laughs> yes. As long as I don't enter games in the competition, you guys can't criticize me. So <laughs> <laughs> that's what I do here. You're probably the only smart one here. Yeah, but then you don't get the free cartridge. I don't know about free. If that really yeah, makes it I worth all the hours seen you mine. put into that. Yeah, that's true. That one doesn't come out yet. I mean, it's only what three years old. Yeah, it takes a little while, right? Well, as good as Nathan is, he's he's a wonderful guy. Uh, we are gonna have to let him go. Um, we're gonna bring Kevin back. Well, thanks for having me on. Thanks for letting me pretend to be Kevin. It's a good job. Yeah, I like this job. The chair's all warm and stuff. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't pay a lot. I'll tell you that. <laughs> all right. Well, have a good night, guys. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Good all right. Night. It's always nice to talk to Nathan. Uh, as much as we tease him about his name, Tall Bear. <laughs> <laughs> He's French. Very nice guy. He's doing some wonderful things. 
His Halcyon game is probably the one that I'm most impressed with, with the On the Horizon, or as Packwatch would call it, mm, Packwatch. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like they had a better name for it, but I think that was it. Um, so, Kevin, I want to ask you what's been going on with you, but we just talked <laughs> about you for... Yeah. Clearly, you know everything that I've been up to. And then right after I get done with this, I have to plan a gaming marathon. My my life's just not slowing down. Oh no, what what is that? What what are you doing next? Like you finished this game three months ago. We're just getting to it now. You took some time off. I get that. But I mean, what's I, next? I, I didn't. I mean, I I didn't take any time off because it went right from coding the game to running the Kickstarter, which you said is even more work at some points like it's just so so much much time and energy that you have to keep up with the hype of promoting it and then responding to messages and responding to questions and like putting up a website and smart intelligent questions or like answering things that you've already answered six times at the kickstarter (laughs) well i mean to be fair there were a couple questions that came in numerous times but i just added them to the frequently asked questions and after i put those up i wasn't asked well for the most part wasn't asked those stupid questions anymore but um you know a lot of them were 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 good questions and, and good messages so um just a lot to keep up with and uh yeah so i went right from that to just get and then getting all of the items that i ordered um and managing all that you know ordering the items putting everything together making sure you got enough enough of everything and that everything's not damaged and then building when you're when you see the orders coming in you're very happy when you start building the orders themselves uh it's less exciting because 425 copies of a game is a lot of copies of a game you know, you're putting the boards in, you're screwing them together, you're putting on the label, you're folding the boxes, you're putting in the styrofoam, you're putting in the sleeves, you're boxing them up, you're packaging them up, you're taping them up, you're printing labels. There's just no easy way to do it. So it was uh, it was an intense time, and now I'm trying to ship everything. So it's just nonstop. Uh, so I'm glad that there's a light at the end of the tunnel. But then once I finish that, like I said, I have to start planning this uh, gaming marathon, which is in two and a half weeks. So organizing all of the items to give away and uh, figuring out who is coming to my house to help out, scheduling the shifts, scheduling the games, uh, figuring out if my streaming is going to work, what the setup's going to be. It's just so much work, man. Uh, but, you know, I, I did not plan ahead and sort of figure out that, oh, man, all this shit's going to happen at the same time. Um, <laughs> so just trying to get through it. We're close, though. It's hard. Like, you don't have the luxury of real mass production. No. And, like, with, with some groups, you know, when it's a larger group, you can sort of slack off for this hour and, you know jump back in when you are a little bit more rested but if like in something like this if you don't do it it's not going to get done so you like have to power through it and try to just you know tough it out and thank god uh kendall was part of the team this time because um she's a machine like she she would just come over to my house and be like hey i'm i'm at your house i'm gonna put together some cartridges um and before I knew it, like every cartridge had been screwed together and every cartridge had been flashed 
and every box had been built and she just like busted her ass to do this stuff when I was at work. Um, so if she hadn't helped out, like it, it would not have gotten done this fast. So thank God for that. That's awesome. Yeah, it was a lot of work, but uh, seeing them built, man, it's, it's awesome. I've seen the pictures on Twitter. I'm very impressed by what you've done and the fact that you are really striving to ship as soon as you possibly can to people is awesome. Oh man, it's been a whirlwind. I'm going to I'm going to retire after this. Oh, oh, here we go again. You're already <laughs> doing retirement speeches. Oh boy. Oh yeah. I mean, you have to you have to. Every time I finish a game, I'm done. That's my last game until the yeah, next I one. I remember that after Frogger. I did one game on that. <laughs> you you get depressed. You get post game release depression. AGRD. <laughs> but uh yeah, enough about me. Oh, and let me just plug that the, the marathon will be September 6th through 8th all weekend long. Tune in on Twitch, go to khangames.com. Uh, I got a tab about it. It's got a link to the Twitch. Uh, subscribe, whatever you need to do. Join us that weekend. And now, Bo, what the hell have you been up to? I don't know. What's your thing called? NES Spectrum Marathon, right? Yes, the NES Spectrum Marathon 2019. We got 50 plus hours of NES gaming action. Uh, this year, we're doing things a little bit different where we're actually going to schedule uh, specific games for specific times. Uh, and we're going to try to beat every game we play. So come by, uh, donate. We're raising money for autism awareness. Uh, it is going to be a good time. we got some stuff to give away, hopefully, if the damn sponsors will ship them to me. Um, but it's all going to autism research, 100% of it. Uh, we're just doing it because uh, I have a lot of friends uh, that have kids with autism and seeing... Uh, them parent like it, they're just such amazing kids and they're misunderstood um, they're such of the most creative and brilliant uh, people I've ever seen so um, it, autism in general has a negative stigma so we want to try to change that and you know any money we can raise that's going to go toward research um, of bettering the lives of these uh, these human beings these really special human beings it's, uh, it's well worth it so come by hang out uh, it's going to be a good time uh, so that is uh, my end of things. Uh, Bo, what have you been doing lately? I don't feel like we've been able to talk much lately, so I am very curious. Uh, I see you've done Convention Quest, but tell me more. Oh, I've... I mean, when when was the last time we did a podcast? Uh, six months ago? I had so much more hair, like it was that long ago. Okay, that's a lie. Um... <laughs> that's true. <laughs> It's been a while, six months, yeah. Yeah, it was back in the late winter, spring. We podcasted for Estacero when I was down visiting family. I think it was right, either right before MGC or right after. Mm -hmm. Must have been right before because uh, the Howard Phillips thing. But just lots has happened since then. Uh, last, about a year ago, I was involved with the... CTWC cartridge, which was an event-based cartridge uh, that got released at PRGE last year. Just so many acronyms that are bothersome. <laughs> the Portland Retro Gaming, Kevin hates an acronym, so I, I don't like to use them in front of him. Oh, they annoy me. Yeah, I know they do. <laughs> um, but yeah, we released the uh, CTWC cart back in Portland, and kind of behind that was my idea that 
it'd be fun to do event-based things like things that are just one and done kind of just these moments in time mgc rolled around and we'd already been talking with some folks uh, different folks around the community but particularly the let's play gaming expo down in irving or dallas texas so we got to talking with Christian, who's one of he's on the board of the Let's Play Gaming Expo, and we were all at MGC, now the Midwest Gaming Classic, like it's a golf tournament. And a game was released there by a wonderful fellow named Vi, uh, and we talked with him. We helped him, you know, get his game out in time and all that. And I'd kind of already had this idea for event-based cartridges. We'd already had it sort of set up, but seeing Vi's work was like. Yeah, like this is a vi a bull thing. <laughs> uh, and so Christian was like, sure, let's do it. And so I was like, okay. And he even like gave a panel at MGC where he was like, we're going to have a cartridge at the Let's Play Gaming Expo. And if it's half as good as this uh, Soul Goose Productions guy says it will be, it'll be amazing. And I, I'm in the back of the row, like shaking my head vigorously going, uh-uh, don't say that, dude. Like, yeah. And it's real. Don't don't give me deadlines. Like you have to do it now. Yeah. So I actually I sent you, Kevin, uh, photographs of his slides where I was just like, "Mm, mm, mm, I'm not doing this for this guy. (laughs) This guy is just he's asking for too much. Yep. But uh, it, it, it was it was good. Um, and so I came up, I had the idea already, but like when rubber meets the road, uh, the convention quest is what came from it. And it was a virtual experience of being at a convention, which I've, I've been to several. I have not been to the one in Texas, which is what the game was based on, but I found floor plans of the convention. I kind of like dropped a grid on it and made the game based on that. I was looking up like hallway architecture. Um, A dude named Sean, he went this year and he took a bunch of photographs for me. I'm just going to give him the shout out now, like a year in advance. He took (laughs) photographs of walls, ceilings, banners, everything. So I could have better information to go off of because i asked christian and patrick like they didn't have pictures of you know the entire upstairs uh Ah. do do you know how easy it is to draw screens based off of no information not easy so i would not imagine so if you ever end up playing the Convention Quest 1, uh, sorry, the full title is The 6502 Collective's Convention Quest at the Let's Play Gaming Expo, August 9th through 11th, 2019, uh, at uh, Irving, Texas. That's the full title. Do you fit that on the title screen? Oh, it's all on the title screen. You know me. <laughs> I just like to call it uh, Convention Quest 1. You'll notice that it may or may not be accurate to the actual convention. Well, that's why, because I had no information. But this Sean guy, he was nice enough to give me some photographs. <laughs> and next year's, if we do another one, will be much more accurate. But uh, nice. it basically took all my RPG work 
and I cut out the battle system, and you can just kind of walk around and be in a con, an expo. That's awesome. You think so? I tried to show Kevbot uh, a couple nights ago because I I've come down to Indiana. I went and visited him, showed him this game. I was like, you know, I'm so proud of this, and he's he's playing it. And he looks at me after about five minutes. He he goes, "This isn't my type of game. I don't like." It. <laughs> I was like, "Thanks, thanks, dude." Well, I've only uh, I've only had I only got to play through the first floor, um, but I was very impressed. I mean. The the text will scroll on the bottom of the screen if your character's on the top of the screen, and if the character's on the bottom, like the text has multiple places, which is amazing. Like there's so many different types of people, different types of room layouts. Um, you know, there's action events where you talk to someone, they move, like the layout changes. Like there's a lot of things that I didn't expect to see. I just expected to be like a very simple um, sort of go and talk to people and not actually like do any thinking um, or puzzle solving or anything like that. But uh, if the rest of the game is anything like the first floor, and I'm sure it even gets more elaborate after that. I'm, I, I think you did a hell of a job. I'm excited to play. Uh, the first floor is very linear. Like it was supposed to have eight chapters. We got it to three just for time constraints, but chapter two is probably four or five times the size of chapter one. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, I'd like to call this an, ERPG, if I can just coin that term now, an expo RPG, <laughs> where you walk around and talk to people. That's the first name of an RPG that doesn't annoy me. I think that's pretty cool. You don't like WRPG? Western RPG? Nah, that's dumb. Mm. Well, expo RPG, uh, we're doing it. This is the first <laughs> installment. There is probably 10 times what I wanted to do, but I just didn't have time to do. So we established the basics and hopefully the uh, convention quest will be coming to a different expo pretty soon. We'll see. They never stop. It's like expos just keep coming. Yeah. There's just been, there's dude, I've had too much going on in the last six months that it's hard to even talk about. MGC was weird. Meeting Howard Phillips, uh, I demoed my game, which he did not really care for. And then I demoed Kevin's game, which he cared for more. But still not much. Well, not, no, but definitely more than mine. He looked at mine and was like, mm-mm, this isn't it. And I was like, <laughs> damn. Okay. I, I already finished it. This is the final one, dude. This isn't, this isn't in production. <laughs> <laughs> but he had, he had good criticism and he was just a wonderful guy. He was super nice. I, I don't quite know that he knew the impact he was having on some of us, but uh, just a very swell guy. It's pretty special that you got to meet him. Yeah, he, he's sprightly. He's very small, uh, <laughs> compact. And yeah, and that was, that was weird. Like we saw him, we, we saw him give a presentation. We called him back to the NA room. He kept talking. I asked him some weird questions about like hardware and mappers and whatnot. He answered them like intelligently. He really knows his stuff. Yeah. yeah. And then, like, uh, Frank Cifaldi, the video game history guy, he brought him back, like, the next morning. And so this was this would have been Sunday morning. And he actually, like, spent time with every homebrew game in the room, played them all, gave us very honest feedback, even if we, myself, didn't agree with it. I mean, if you're gonna, if you're gonna judge your game in any way against games of old like he is 
the thread, you know. He's, he's the game the, master. The judge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there you go. And so that was that was a wild experience. And then I took a, a small cross-country tour and I got to interview some people for the book project, which apparently some people don't really know about, but uh, the <laughs> you know, writing the history of the modern homebrew scene and book form. Whether people read it or just look at the pictures. Oh, there's going to be pictures? If you have anything to say with it, yes. <laughs> yeah, there'll be pictures. And with between the convention quest, the continued book stuff, the swooning at Howard Phillips, and the finishing, finally, of the Kickstarter rewards for Spookatron, like Soul Goose Productions. Uh, should it continue, Kevin? Should you continue with what? Sorry. You, you so cut out there at the end. SGP. Like, oh, God, yes. Why, why would you stop? You're just now getting warmed up. I know, but I'm involved in so many things. It's, it's difficult to, like, even commit. But, uh... Well, you can't quit now. You have way too many projects going on. <laughs> You're tied to too many people. Yeah. So, with SGP itself, I will hopefully have... It's not dead. It's uh, very much alive and strong with stuff that I've been doing behind the scenes for the last few years. And I hope in the next six to nine months to be able to reveal some of that stuff. But I, I still have old projects sitting on my hard drive that just need to get out. So you all can play them. I can play them. <laughs> You're about to start knocking them out one by one. Well, there's two in particular. Uh, City Zen, which if you'll notice in your homebrew calendar is the October uh, showgirl, we'll say. Coming up on that. Yeah, and my goal is still to get that out by then. And then Swords and Runes 2, which was done in 2015, will hopefully be next. Uh, it's a very good game, very solid. It follows very much in the footsteps of its predecessor, but... Uh, is quite enjoyable so awesome we will see yeah i'm still doing stuff even though i'm involved with this other stuff uh contract projects book projects joint projects it's just none of them are doing quite what i want to do with sgp and that's mostly rpg make rpgs yes thank you okay you got it (laughs) that's all i want to do i get you Bo. i get you so kevin We've talked a lot about ourselves in this episode. I I know this is the longest break we've been on in terms of recording, and that's all my fault due to technicalities. What else has been going on in the community? Well, I think we can blame it on God, really. It's God's fault. Um, But But what if if he was one of us, you know? (laughs) Just Just a stranger on the bus. Just a stranger on a bus. (laughs) And... What if you have 10,000 spoons, but all you need is a knife? Now, that's ironic, don't you think? Um, so let's talk about what's been going on in the community. Um, I think there have been a few major developments, uh, but the most exciting one to me, uh, which sort of came out of nowhere in some ways, is Orange Island uh, by a former Sega employee, even though Sega sucks, Uh, Ted, he dropped this uh, sort of platformer adventure RPG. Like, what would you even call this genre? It's a mashup. 
Genre's Legacy of the Wizard. Okay. Let's just call it Legacy of the Wizard Clone. Nothing new. Uh, but it looks very exciting, and he's been dropping little, you know, screenshots on Twitter for uh, a year. Has it been more than a year? It's been a while, and it's been in the vein of NES. So I was always wondering, like, is this an NES game? Is it a PC game? He's always kind of vague about it. I don't know where he sits on this fence. I need to know what side. Uh, so when he dropped the Kickstarter. Oh, okay, it's a PC game. Oh, shit, there's a stretch goal to release it on the NES. Uh, it'll never make it. Like, that's a pretty high number. It hit that NES stretch goal very quickly, like, prior to being halfway through with the campaign. So, it is coming out on NES. It's being programmed by none other than Antoine from Broke Studio, who did Twin Dragons. So, he's going to kick some major ass on that. Um, but Ted's still working on the PC version, so I'm not really sure how the timeline goes. Uh, if if uh, Antoine started the PC or the NES port yet, or if he's waiting until the PC port's done, or whatever, I don't know. But uh, I do know that at some point in the future, Orange Island will be on an NES cartridge, probably in a cute pink color, uh, and it's going to be fun because it looks beautiful. Of all the games that are on the horizon, this is probably the one that I'm most looking forward to. I mean, I'm involved in several, and I'm looking forward to several others, but yeah, like it, to be inspired by Legacy of the Wizard. Um, how impressive, though. Like, you have the basic gameplay, but he's also got things in there, like the one character is modeled after his grandmother who looked and behaved a certain way, and it's just like, that's super neat, man. Yeah. It is, I agree. That was always the weird thing about Legacy of the Wizard, is you're like the boy, the girl, the grandma, the grandpa, the mom and dad, like the Drassel family. And it's it's just so unique. And you, there haven't been a lot of games like it over the years, so I, I'm very excited for it. Unique is a good word for this game, for sure. Yeah, and along with, you know, triple... X no triple A tier games. Uh, yes, Micromages has now shipped uh, or is yeah. in the process of shipping. I got I my. got my copy. Okay, did you get the limited? Uh, no, I just got a regular copy. But uh, unbeknownst to me, they included uh, at least in every copy I've seen a surprise little uh, backpack type strappy bag with uh, Micromages. Uh, graphics on it so it was a nice little surprise um came with a couple magnets that i have on my fridge that everyone is jealous of but uh yeah i'm thrilled that this game came in it's uh, been a long time a long time coming yeah i mean that and lizard are personally like my two favorite homebrews that have come out so far Yep, so I'm glad people are finally getting to play that game. Um, did you hear that the 8-Bit Christmas 2019 is in development now? They said I needed to study harder, but I didn't quite get that reference. <laughs> yeah, he's taking uh, my old game, Study Hall, from 2012, 2011, 2012, somewhere in there. Oh, that's what I said. Um, and he is... Uh, putting it on steroids so he's making the levels twice as tall 
uh, with scrolling, new weapons, new levels. Uh, everything is just going to be crazy enhanced, and uh, it might even have actual gameplay music. Holy shit, wouldn't that be something? Um, so Zai is on board for doing the Christmas music. Uh, he actually already turned it in. It's sounding excellent. Um, so yeah, uh, Xmas 2019 will be Study Hall-esque. You know, that was one of the games that got me into homebrewing in the first place. Uh, when I saw you were releasing that, I was just like, man, this is something I want to do in life. So I, I'm excited for this year's Christmas cart. Yeah, I can't wait to see uh, what they do with it. So in closing, um, part of the future of SGP is this grand scheme of RPGs and all that good stuff. And a fellow by the name of Human Thomas, you may know him. Uh, We've mentioned him about three times this episode. (laughs) He's done the Haunted Halloween music, the... uh, Full quiet music, uh, scramble music, speed, scramble. What else? Oh, uh, convention quest, uh, <laughs> uh, CTWC. Come to think of it, I've worked with him several times. Kevin's worked with him several times. Great guy, very easygoing. But he does. Do you want to say amazing? He's got some hot jams. Uh, so I can't say amazing. He's he does hot jams and. <laughs> This is a non-hot jam version because it's for an RPG, which we want to be a little slower and a little calmer, but still very good. Uh, Thomas has done six tracks or so, so far, and this is just one of them. I'm going to tease you by not saying a name because I get to hear them all and I'll decide which one comes out uh, by the time you hear this. (laughs) Excellent. I, I need to give my spiel. Oh, and if uh, you haven't heard us before, we're on Nestunes and Icecape. <laughs> no, Bo. So, if you have any questions you want us to answer uh, later on future episodes of the podcast, you can email us at nesassemblyline at gmail.com. Also, you can find me on Twitter at a ton of glaciers. You can find Bo on Twitter at soul goose please rate us on itunes if you like what you hear um everything that you do on there uh helps us reach more and more listeners and what's better than more and more people knowing about nes homebrew nothing i tell you we have a patreon um thank god we set the patreon to only charge every time we release an episode or else you'd always be poor and have nothing to listen to so you only get charged when we release an episode if you want to support us we're on there at uh, nes assembly line and i think that's finally it we need to do more of these uh if you if you're interested in helping support me finding some viable internet please let me know <laughs> Thanks, guys.